0: Southern skies, online media.
1: This episode of Plane Crazy Down Under is brought to you by Oz Aus Runways, Australia's only CASA approved electronic flight bag for iPad. Get a free 30 day trial today at ozrunways.com and by Jetride Australia. Experience the ultimate through ride in our Soviet era L 39 jet. With locations in Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane, you can be Top Gun for the day. Find out more at jetride.com.au/slash PCDU. And by 50 Tales of Flight, the latest e-book by Owen Zapp, covering everything from biplanes to boeings. Available on Kindle and iTunes and at
0: owenzapp.com. Well, good day, folks and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 109 of the program where we look at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. On a freezing cold and very wet Monday afternoon here in Melbourne, Australia, I'm Steve Fisher, and uh, welcoming back to the show my good friend and co-host, the equally wet Grant McHeron. How are you, mate? Uh,
2: Not that wet, mate. Not that wet. I only ducked out for a couple of seconds. But uh, yes, it is raining over here. I wouldn't call it freezing cold. It is above freezing. I mean, it's actually two figures
0: just. (laughs) Of course, when I say freezing cold, I can just imagine all our American and European friends groaning, saying, you guys would have no idea what cold weather is. They're probably right.
2: I think they could very well be. I do have an idea. I have lived over there. I uh, remember a, a winter in Boston at minus 40 degrees centigrade, which is the same as minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. But It's actually the crossover point, but uh,
0: to most normal humans, it's freaking cold. Yes, I'll take that. In fact, it could have been very wet here in the studio yesterday, Grant. I actually wandered in here yesterday to find one of the architraves at the top of the roof here bulging. We we, we had a leaky roof, and it could have been it would have been disastrous. Oh, right. It would have leaked all over my studio gear, and I would have been miserable.
2: You would have been heartbroken.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, would have sent the company broke. Imagine if we'd had to replace it with new mixes and new – actually, that's not a bad idea, Grant. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, hey. Right. Stop drilling those holes. <laughs> Well, mate, uh, what's been going on in aviation? I've been doing some ground school, actually, lately, trying to uh, work up for my AFR, not BFR. I keep calling it BFR, but uh, I guess it's AFR. its uh, I'll tell you what, mate, a lot of things have changed uh, since I was uh, doing any regular flying last. Uh, <laughs> I must say it's uh, not so much in, the obviously, the flying itself, but I guess the terminology on the radio. We've been doing a lot of uh, studying up on flight rules and procedures and all that sort of stuff, uh, just trying to get it all right in my head, and I think it's not so much that any of the terminology has changed um, compared to when I was flying uh, regularly but it's more the order in which the terminology comes these days. You know, they keep switching it all around.
2: Yeah, it's, it's quite a bit of a, an impact upon those who haven't done it for a while. And yeah, everything has shifted. I know I, I haven't really flown seriously for a while in radio-controlled airspace. And, uh, yeah, it's it's always a bit of a change for me even. And uh, I would imagine for you it's going to be quite the jarring uh, exercise to come back up to speed on everything. But that's why they do it. That's why you need to get current again. Absolutely. So and
0: well, it's good to be working towards it. And I, I must say I've enjoyed the study and it's been great. And in, in fact, uh, I'm going uh, back with my good friend Laurie Burns this week, uh, my, my, my personal flying instructor. I'll call him that. Oh. And, and uh, yeah, we're going to uh, actually start planning uh, some NAVXs and, uh, you know, get back into some NAV. I've bought myself. Off a new whiz wheel because I like to do it the old-fashioned way and <laughs> uh, I'm really looking forward to that. So it's it's been quite, quite a good challenge and I am uh, really itching. I've actually built up a, a small war chest of uh, money where I can uh, get a few flying hours in. I don't know whether I'll have enough to knock uh, as much uh, time out as I'd like to get up before I do that test and uh, you know, if I'm not happy with it, I, I certainly won't go ahead with it until I uh, build up a bit more money and, and get some flying hours in but I am itching to get back up in the sky and uh, you know really uh, see how it all comes together. I, what I'm hoping is that once I get up and flying again that uh, some of these things that, uh, you know, all work well in the world of the theoretical just fall into place. It, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh,
2: it sounds great, mate, but I've got one critical question and it's really of vital import.
0: Yeah. How have you managed to keep that nest egg away from Kathy? It's, it's very simple, mate. I've locked the studio door and she didn't hear any of that last conversation. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're a very lucky boy. Uh, mate, I haven't flown myself. I haven't been pilot in command for quite some time, but... Uh, and the ballooning front, the weather is going to uh, the winter zone, which is not always that good down here in Melbourne. Uh, we did manage to get the uh, Nudie special shape balloon. It's designed to look like the uh, character from the Nudie Juice Company down here in Australia, a little purple guy. Uh, I've had one person say it looks, you know, they thought it was Barney, but they uh, <clears throat> got it from the wrong angle and just saw this weird purple shape. But uh, no, it doesn't look anything like Barney. It looks like a little, uh, little Nudie guy. Yeah, we flew that over Sydney Harbour. So uh, a lot of photos and videos. Videos of that went around the place. A uh, few people around the world saw it. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Always a big challenge trying to fly a hot air balloon over Sydney Harbour. Very, very restrictive airspace. Yeah. And you've got to have just the right weather, just the right timing, organise all your permissions. A lot of work went into it. So it's not something we do daily, but uh, great publicity and looked really cool. So that was that. And the next thing for me. I think I might, in a few weeks' time, we have Queen's Birthday weekend, which is the 8th, 9th and 10th of June, a long weekend. And a few of us are looking to take a bunch of balloons and head up uh, north to Mansfield, which is uh, northeast of Melbourne. Uh, sort of... All- Kind of like parallels on the way towards Albury, but about uh, just before Benalla, so not too far up the road, but far enough to hopefully get away from the uh, yucky weather and uh, let us get some flying. And
0: yeah, it's beautiful country up that way. In fact, uh, on the way up to the snowfields, a lot of people will know Mansfield if they're heading up towards uh, Mount Buller.
2: That's what we're counting on. Uh, We're actually going to be setting up some ballooning operations in Mansfield. One of our pilots has moved there recently, and uh, the game plan is to promote that by having a whole lot of our balloons and shapes and a lot of the crew up there and some of the private balloon pilots are going to be up there as well and uh, we'll see if we can't get a few flights in because I'm itching to log some more time. It has been way too long and I missed all the chance at Easter because I was working and I missed the chance at the Nationals at the end of April because I was uh, working once again and couldn't afford to go away for a week. So I figure I've probably missed out on a big stack of hours so I'm itching to make up
0: for that. I'll bet you i bet you I'm very relieved that you said the nudie is the the actual balloon and not actually yourself. That might have been uh, very disturbing For the people of Melbourne no. as you fly over. <laughs> that would have been
2: hugely disturbing. Oh, look, it's a Nudie Grant flying over Sydney. No! Oh, uh, the RSPCA would have been onto that in a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's a scary thought, mate.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. Well, it's going down a horrible path here. So let's bring it back into line. Coming up in this episode, we're heading back to Avalon, where we caught up with a pilot and an air refuelling operator on board the uh, Royal Australian Air Force KC-30A. Uh, Grant also caught up with the uh, crew from the uh, Heron UAV to see how that program's been going on since the last couple of years. And note, as always, that's the Heron Grant, not the McHeron.
2: Oh, mate, I wouldn't mind owning that one. It's a very nice aircraft. But, of course, uh, Australia doesn't actually own it. We're um, leasing and using it at the moment. but proving to be a very, very uh, popular and effective uh, drone for intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance duties.
0: Absolutely. Sounds like they've been doing some wonderful things so that one will be coming up in the second part of the show. We've also got an update on the plan we announced in the last show to help uh, support Ryan Campbell from Teen World Flight in his attempt to be the youngest uh, person to fly solo around the world and uh, some seriously good uh, results there. We've actually managed to raise more money than we'd hoped to raise so that's great we'll be uh, talking about that a bit later in the show and uh, also we're going to mention the uh, three lucky winners of our uh, Flight Path TV giveaway from the last show. That took about 24 hours from the episode release to get those ones a day. They did very, very well. But uh, speaking of giveaways, uh, we've also got another one to announce this time, thanks to our great mate Owens Up. Now uh, Grant, if that doesn't fill up the dance card enough, uh, we've also got a new reporter on the team that we're going to uh, introduce to the audience. A very enthusiastic member of our audience who's uh, been following us for quite some time and uh, as it turns out, he's got quite some experience in editing, so uh, we thought we'd uh, grab that opportunity and put him to work and uh, he's actually oh. been up to Echuca and uh, done some work for us up there. That is, of course, Michael Lee and We'll be speaking to him in the third part of the show, Grant. But first, we're going to head off to our feature interview. And uh, I tell you what, mate, it's about high time we headed across the ditch. We haven't done that for quite some time. So let's uh, talk about some recent happenings over there in New Zealand. And uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome to the show from the Wings Over New Zealand podcast. It's Dave Homewood. G'day, Dave.
3: Hi, how are you?
0: I'm very well, mate, and welcome to the show. I'm glad we finally got you on the show. It's uh, It's been, let's see, what are you, 45 episodes into Wings Over New Zealand now? So it's it's more than high time we had you on.
3: Well, thank you very much. It's a great privilege to be on the show.
0: Yeah, don't go telling. telling. Grant that, it'll go to his head.
3: Too late, too
0: late. I've got to
2: widen the doors now to get out of the studio.
3: No, it really is. I mean, you guys are... world famous and, and you know you do a great show so I really appreciate it. I'll no, tell
0: you what uh, it's very kind of you to say mate but you're doing some great things over there on the Wings Over New Zealand show and you know the Kiwi aviation scene it's it's I guess you know we always say here in Australia it's quite a small scene I guess by compared to well I guess by compared to America which is what I guess we all measure ourselves by and I yep. guess it's uh, perhaps a, a smaller scene over there but it's such a fantastic such a rich aviation scene over there the warbird scene in particular is just fantastic. Oh
3: it is it really is um, we're so lucky here in New Zealand and at any given time of day here where I live in Cambridge there seems to be aircraft flying over from various flying schools or agricultural aircraft or airliners or anything so there's always something going on here.
2: That's, that's great. I mean, from what I've seen, especially when the Mosquito was launched, I, we'll come to that in more detail later, but the the formation flights that were put on when that Mosquito was doing its its flights in New Zealand during summer before it went over to the States, I mean, you know, that we would have been hard pressed to put on some of those formations ourselves here. You've got a Corsair, you've got, you know, a couple of Spitfires, a Mustang, a P-40. Uh, it was just amazing. And then there was the, the formation with the three de Havilland jets.
3: Oh god, that was just incredible to watch. I mean, honestly, I I don't even think I had seen the three De Havilland jets together before. Uh, yeah. Even with, you know, even with the original Venom flying here, uh, and to see that with Mosquito, wow.
2: Yeah, and then you've got like. Uh the classic fighters and, uh, and the, the work that Peter Jackson and everyone else is doing there, we're restoring and rebuilding and, and uh, replicating World War One aircraft. It's just
3: fantastic. It is. It is. It's just incredible. Absolutely incredible. You know, what, what's going on down there at Masterton, Omarka uh, it, it blows the mind, actually. I mean, it's, it's all happened in the last few years as well. It's really built up from nothing.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to get in and talk about all of that stuff uh, during the course of this interview. But before we do that, uh, Dave, like we do with uh, everybody that's a guest on the show, uh, can you tell us a bit about your journey through aviation and how you came to the point of being a New Zealand's world famous aviation podcaster?
3: <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, I was uh, born here in Cambridge. My, my dad was always into aviation because he um, grew up opposite Ardmore, which is basically new zealand's main warbird base now but during the war when he was a kid it was um the rnzf's main fighter training base and so he he was sort of into aviation from a young age watching fighters going all over the place there including into their paddocks their farm paddocks and stuff but it was sort of in my blood and he ran the local model era club and For a couple of years, he was president of the National Model Aircraft Association in New Zealand. So there was always people around our place talking about planes and showing photos and that sort of thing. And, you know, we'd go to air shows and that sort of thing. So it sort of seemed natural that I would join the Air Force. In fact, I I shouldn't say it's quite that because I originally wanted to join the Army. I don't know why now. No idea. <laughs> but uh, but I made the right decision and joined the Air Force. And so I spent a, um, four and a half years in the Air Force uh, as a safety equipment worker. And really during that time, I, I was based at Wigram for two and a half years. And during that time, I got quite familiar with the Air Force Museum at Wigram, which is one of the country's best uh, aircraft museums and sort of going down there on a Sunday afternoon for a pie in the in the cafe I got to meet and got to know a lot of the, the guides who were World War Two veterans and they used to tell me these stories that you know I'd wander around and they'd point out stuff on the aircraft and tell me stories about them that from their days and that really got me into the history of it and um, I started reading up a lot more about our Air Force's history and and got really interested in it. And then for a few years uh, after I got out of the Air Force, I really didn't do much at all to do with aviation, apart from a bit of modelling. And then one day I was looking at, I was in the library, I was looking at some books and I came across Errol Martin's, uh, then it was two books, there's now three, uh, on all the Air Force people from New Zealand who uh, have died in the service. And I was flicking through it and I saw Cambridge. And, you know, that's where I was born and bred, grew up. I thought, well, who, how, what, what Cambridge Air Force? And so I started to look into it. I went over to the museum, and sure enough, I, there was a little Air Force depot here in Cambridge, which was highly secret, and no one knew about it. And I started looking through the old newspapers, and the more I looked, the more I found about people from Cambridge who were in the Air Force. And uh, I started to sort of collate bits and pieces here and there. And then after months of research and pulling it all together and realizing there's a real interesting story there of all these people from Cambridge who had served in the Air Force in World War II... I created the website which is Wings Over Cambridge and then from Wings Over Cambridge after around about a year that that was online I was getting lots and lots of questions coming in from people emailing me and it was all, often the same question so I thought I need something on the site where I can put a space where people can ask a question and everyone else can see the answer so I don't have to keep answering them individually. <laughs> and uh, so I, I looked around and found this um, Boards forum and I started what has now is now. It was originally called Wings Over Cambridge as well, but it's now Wings Over New Zealand, and it's become the most widely used New Zealand aviation website. And it's a huge discussion forum for everything to do with New Zealand aviation. Now started off with just World War Two Air stuff, and it just expanded and expanded. Now it's got all the civilian stuff, gliding, top dressing, everything you can think of, and it, yeah. it's just got oodles of history. Photograph
2: people from all around the world accessing it too.
3: It has, it has. And not just Kiwis around the world either. There's a lot of uh, Brits, there's um, yep. Australians, there's all sorts of, you know, a lot of Americans, Canadians, people in even places like Norway and stuff are reading it. I, in fact, one of the most telling things for me, I went to Classic Fighters Airshow in 2007 and Dave McDonald's from Classic Wings magazine uh, introduced me to two guys. One of them was from Germany and one was from France. And when they heard my name, they said, oh, we read your forum every day. Oh,
2: wow. And
3: I I, I was like, what? (laughs) You what? (laughs) Seriously, what? (laughs) I had no idea. And now every time I go to an air show or something like that, I meet people from around the world who actually are aware of it. So it's quite amazing.
2: Oh, yeah. I've used it a few times to uh, look at, through info about Sunderlands for my father. Right. Uh, he was ex, ex-Kiwi ex Air Force on the Sunderlands in the P3s, so uh, did a bit of digging. I wish I had the time to actually sit on the board and go there every day. I just i I'm flat yeah. out. I don't have time to do much in the way of any forums anywhere on the, online these days.
3: There's a lot of people who are in the same situation as you who, who come along every now and then and they sort of dip their toe in and they get the information they want and they go away again, but they always come back, so that's good. It's got over 3,000 members now, but I know that there's probably more out there, people who aren't members, but they read every day. And um, I got into listening to Warbird Radio, the American uh, Warbird-themed radio, which I I really enjoy. And so I thought, oh, I wonder if there's any others like this around. I just found that by chance. I think I saw it on the Wix forum or something and did a bit of a Google and I found your uh, podcast, which I started listening to and enjoying. And then the extended podcast in Britain, Yep. And um, well, actually, that came a bit later. I discovered that, but I was starting to think about it, and and I was thinking, hang on a minute, nobody's done anything like this in New Zealand. There's there's no podcast out there in New Zealand. So I talked to my mate. I got a very good mate who um, you know basically grew up round the corner from him, and he's a big into aviation, and so we've always been sort of aviation friends as well as mates. So I talked to him about it, and he said, oh, yeah, someone should be doing that, and then he says, you should be doing that. <laughs> uh, And and I said, oh, yeah, well, with all the contacts I've got through the forum and and around the place, so I could probably do it. And anyway, next day he rings me up and he goes, oh, I've just sent off a package to you. And the package turns up and here's this audio recorder. And and so that was the beginning of it. And nobody did that for us, Grant. Geez. Yeah, I
1: know. That's very nice. Wow.
3: Yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. And, uh, yeah, that started me off. and, And then I had to work out all of the technical difficulties of um, getting my brain around how to put sound onto the internet. And uh, I have to thank you two for helping me through that one um, with a with technical I mean it was all completely new to me I didn't really know anything of what I was doing and I was getting advice from about six people and and the two of you actually helped me out so I appreciate that oh no worries well you Happy know the thing help,
0: there's an ulterior motive Dave because if we can get you to cover New Zealand then that's less work we have to do so you <laughs> oh, um, yes,
2: yes. more chance to hook up somewhere else to hang out when we come over I mean especially with uh, you're in Cambridge not far from Hamilton balloons over Waikato Ooh, I might be there
0: one day flying
3: so, yeah. you, know. you know Grant yeah. you
0: sound like you know something about New Zealand I'm not really sure yeah
3: <laughs> Well, yeah. I, I, so this this um, Wings Over New Zealand show that was sort of spurned out of the out of the forum, um, you know, as you said, it's now up to forty five episodes, and I think almost half of them seem to have been this year. They've, they've sort of come on thick and fast yes. in the last six months. Anyway, it started off really sort of crap. <laughs> it was really, um, I did, I, on my part, I didn't know what I was doing, but I had some really good guests, and I think that's what's helped. Um, and it's really good to talk to some of these people in various areas of aviation. And uh, I'm, I'm trying, as I go along, I'm trying to improve my part of it, better interviewing techniques and better sound quality and all that sort of thing. So I'm hoping that it's going to get uh, better and better as it goes along.
0: It's a nice. it's a long and it's a long and deep spiral, isn't it, Grant? To when you start <laughs> getting <into> audio
3: again? <laughs> Yes, but uh,
2: mate, I've I've really like yeah. You're right. The first ones, the content was great. Your your quality and yeah, you are getting into it and all that kind of stuff. But the yeah, you, know, uh, you you had all those contacts to get some great people to talk to, yeah. and it's been fantastic listening from. Uh, I, I remember talking to. Early yeah. on, and downloading them manually, and listening to them, and and then you got the the RSS feed and the iTunes and all that. So I hooked in I've got the RSS feed on my Podcatcher, and the way I went from there. And yeah, mate, it's been great. The ones you're doing with Noel Cruz, that series, I'm hanging for the next one because it's just been fascinating what he's been talking about. The one on classic fighters and the the A4 pilot, it's just been awesome, man. Really enjoying it.
3: Well, thank you very much. Actually, that um one with uh, Patch Nelson, the A4 pilot, which is the most recent. Second second to most recent episode that's gone online. It's only been online a couple of weeks, and I noticed today there's over 2,400 hits. That's fantastic. Beautiful. I don't don't know what. I think I've discovered the secret of the show. I need to get more A4 pilots on there.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I think we should get a few of our own, Grant.
3: So – Steve, actually, I've, I've got a question for you. What, what do you think have been the um, your favourite shows of the Wings Over New Zealand show?
0: Now, I haven't heard them all. I'll admit that because um, currently looking at my podcatcher, I have let's see, I have 171 <laughs> podcasts in the queue. So, but uh, yep. I, I must say that um, the Classic Fighters one was one of the ones I really enjoyed because I can identify with with going to an air show and we've done plenty of them ourselves now, where we've gone out there and you sort of got to walk up to people, and you know you're what you want an interview with, it? you want to talk. What do you do? You're a podcast. Yeah. What's a podcast? So, I could picture myself walking through that event with you and I just sort of pictured myself standing there. It was almost as if I was there and I really enjoyed doing those sorts of shows myself. So i got to say, uh, Classic Fighters, you know, that was really my favourite episode, uh, Dave. And I guess while we're talking about that event, you know, you you talk about you've had so much content in the last six months. I guess that's one of the premier events that they've had in the the first half of this year, Classic Fighters. Can we talk a bit about that perhaps?
3: Sure, absolutely. Um, Classic Fighters air show is really my favourite air show Favourite regular air show, put it that way. Uh, And I just absolutely love it. And this year, it was just everything about it was great. I just loved it. I had the great privilege of flying down to the air show in the uh, Warbirds, Dakota, ZKDAK. And um, that that experience, uh, 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 you know, was just fantastic. And you arrive at the air show, you hop out and you're there sort of thing. The show itself, the array of aircraft types that we're getting to these shows now, just Brilliant. You know, there were two Spitfires, the Fock Wharf, the Venom was there, the Strike Master. Jeez, there's so much stuff. The Anson, the Anson was one of the big hits of the show. And that Anson is just gorgeous. Yeah. And you know, and the, and they've got some great scenarios going on uh with the with the various displays. The Friday night Display was just brilliant, and you know what amazed me was most people had left by the time that the actual show had started, and you know they had uh, had a bit of a battle between the Anson and the BF one hundred eight Typhoon, <laughs> oh, and and the Anson turret gunner shot shot down the the uh, Typhoon, <laughs> and uh, you know it's it's just. Fantastic, you know, really great little scenarios like that.
0: Yeah, well, um, well uh, even but, coming in there on the on the uh, on the Dakota, I mean, the only time I've ridden on that sort of aircraft, uh, I've only ever had the privilege of doing it once, and I, I, I guess I wasn't really sure what to expect, to be honest. But uh, what surprised me, and I must admit, it was a short flight, but it was a very very smooth aircraft to ride in. Did that? Was your experience the
3: same? Absolutely. Um, I got picked up at Hamilton, and we flew all the way down. And it wasn't until we got to Cook Strait that it, that I experienced any bump bumpiness. It was so smooth uh you know when you fly down there on air new zealand or whatever um you're usually probably a little bit higher but you get a lot of bumpiness and this was just perfect everything was perfect and you know i I walked onto the plane at hamilton airport and just as i sat down there was a glass of champagne thrust into my hand um (laughs) and and then the uh, next next thing the um the hostess comes along and says so what do you want to drink with lunch and i was like What like tea or coffee? No, no, we got beer or more champagne or wine. It's like sweet. (laughs) No wonder it was a great flight. (laughs) But I mean, you know, you get proper service like like you used to get in the olden days. And no, you you can't fault it. And great, great, great group of people. um, All the pilots, everyone, they're they're, they're wonderful people. So, you know, I can't recommend more that uh, if you get a chance, go for a fly with them. They, they do uh, local flights around Auckland, scenic flights, or you can charter them to air shows or anywhere you want. They even do um, funeral flights and things like that. So, yeah, really, really great. uh, People at the Warbird, Fly dc 3 if you look up dc 3 on their website.
0: For those of us who are not uh, familiar with the airport itself, can you describe perhaps that airfield at Omaka? I mean, how big is it?
3: The airfield itself is um, not particularly big as such. It's all grass. It's owned by the Marlborough Air Club and it's surrounded by grapevines. The land around the airport is still owned by the Marlborough Air Club, but they've um, leased it out to vineyards because all of Marlborough now is just you know all the wine that New Zealand exports around the world most of it comes from Marlborough and um, then as a backdrop you've got the Wither Hills which are quite tall hills and they get snow on them in winter in fact the last air show I think it was or was one before there was a bit of bit of snow on the hills there the the airfield itself has got the Aviation Heritage Centre on it, which is really just one of the most premier aircraft museums in the world. It's got a lot of original World War I aircraft as well as a lot of uh, replica World War I aircraft in it. And it's also got absolutely stunning collection of memorabilia from World War I. You know, it's got, uh, you, you could say the Richtofen's jacket. They've got his uniform. They've got his brother's uniform. They've got his father's uniform. They've got oh. all this. They've got all this other memorabilia that's been collected from all these. I mean, there's even Herman Gorin's uniform in there. There's wow. all sorts of uh, things like World War One gun camera. Um, that thing stunned me. I didn't even know that they thought about that in World War One. But yeah. you know, there's there's all sorts of little knickknacks and little stuff in cases. You, you you can spend all day just looking in the in the glass cases. And then of course the actual aircraft are displayed in really interesting ways. And you may have seen the photographs on the internet of the AHC. One in particular is uh, Richtofen's crash site, where has uh, fuckered. Uh, triplane is smashed on the ground, and the Australian soldiers are pulling all his uniform off because they're stealing everything. Um, <laughs> Australians would never do that, surely. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would sit been, on the fence on this one. <laughs> there must there must have been Kiwis in the Australian army.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, but, now I feel now I feel that's me.
3: <laughs> but but the, there's another one um, that's all snowy, and a, and a plane has actually crashed into a tree. And um, there's great, great scenarios um, that they've really thought about it and the, the the dummies of the people you expect them to move they're, they're so lifelike it's all done by wetter workshops you don't do the films and stuff so you know that's that's just one of the things that's on uh, on the airfield there there's a lot of private collections and in workshops there there's all sorts of things being rebuilt one guy there has a curtis hawk the predecessor to the to the tomahawk and um there's there's a, a p40 being rebuilt there there's a Oh, a number of yaks and various other things there, and they've got a got a flyball yak three, and uh, the the fox wolf lives there. The Anson lives there now. So there's all sorts of things going on at marker It's a great place, great place. Sounds like
2: it's giving an Ardmore a bit of a run for its money.
3: Well, it is a bit. It's sort of the Ardmore of the south, really. Although, you know, Ardmore has got a lot of interesting stuff going on as well. And, you know, there's all sorts <laughs> of things in sheds there. So.
2: Well, we're, we're hearing uh, rumours of a bunch of fibre-class Lancasters parked in a hangar or shed somewhere, possibly near marker because of the... Uh, Peter Jackson wanting to do the the Dam Busters remake.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's fairly well known. They're they're in Wellington um, at one of of the studio um, places there. I think he's got 10 of them or something. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and uh, once he's finished with this Hobbit movies that he's been working on, the Danbusters Busters is the next project, I believe, so.
0: Grand, you'll be happy on both uh, on both fronts there then. Yeah,
2: well, I mean, for those who don't know, by the way, the Weta uh, Digital we were referring to, uh, Weta Graphics, Weta Digital, that's the uh, guys who did all their special effects for uh, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and a stack of other movies, and they also produced the uh, visual graphics you see when you go into the uh, World War One section of the uh, War Museum with, uh, here at... Uh, in Canberra. Yes, and, that's right. Yeah, absolutely fantastic work. Amazing bunch of guys. And yeah, now, because uh, Peter Jackson's taken a lot of the money from the Lord of the Rings and plowed it into his World War One aircraft that he just loves all that stuff. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, you I know, love Lord of the Rings and enjoying the Hobbit and can't wait for Dambusters and anything else they work on. I'm really looking forward to it.
3: He's done wonders for the uh, New Zealand aviation scene and, uh, and also bringing back to the consciousness uh, of New Zealanders about what World War One was about. Even, you know, me who's been an aviation fan for all my life, um, I really didn't know much about World War One stuff until I first went to Amaka in 2007. And I've learnt a lot just by going to, along to shows at Amaka in Masterton. And seeing these things in the air, and, and I've got a huge respect now for all those World War One aviators. Well, talking
0: about warbirds over there, I guess the other one that's been in the news, and uh, rightly so, has been the uh, you know the return to flight of the mosquito after many years of restoration. There, and uh, you got to cover that a bit in in your show as well, Dave.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That that was probably the most magnificent restoration that I've ever seen, um, and the world sensation that it caused has just been stunning. And it's still going on. I mean, people are still following the fact that it's now flying in the states. And this weekend, in fact, tomorrow, uh, it's going to be doing its um, first air show so you know that's, that's great first American air show it's done the, quite a few over here <laughs> um, but you know honestly I've been really really privileged to be in on the inside with the team I, I know uh, Warren Denham and the team who have rebuilt it at Avspecs and um, also met Glynn several times that uh, did all the woodwork Glenn Powell and um, just some amazing guys really awesome guys and you know the work they, they're doing not just on that Mosquito but on other aircraft uh, and producing just top-notch warbirds um, for the world market. Wonderful, wonderful,
2: yeah. yeah. Really good. Well, I believe that Mosquito actually flown at the uh, the show. Um, Classic Air, um, Aircraft Photography, I believe it is, on Facebook, yep. uh, who are putting out stacks of photos of the Mosquito when it was flying in New Zealand, have also been putting out photos of it in the U.S. I think they've actually followed it over there.
3: Yes, yeah, I believe that Gavin is over there um, and putting yep. up photos. So, yeah, yeah he's he's sort of Gavin Conroy is the um official photogra- photographer of the uh, of the relaunch of the mosquito basically that would be
2: why yeah classic aircraft photography on Facebook and yeah there's there's a lot of photos of his on on um, the wings over New Zealand board and I remember when you interviewed him and he was saying he uh, whenever he sees a post oh, this is not a Gavin Conroy he's like just just post the damn thing
3: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah but you know he is a he's such a good photographer and and he he really knows what he's doing so um we enjoy having his photos on on the forum that's for sure and you know with the mosquito too um something that's quite amazing when it was about to fly again it went on to the television news a couple of times and then the the newspapers caught on to it and you know with a with a restoration it normally is just the fans like you and i of aviation who who will follow these things but the whole public the general public started following the mosquito, um, yep. which is really really odd because it, it sort of really caught the public imagination, not just the fans, if you know what I mean. And uh, it even had its picture in TV Guide. That's how big it got, you know, and it wasn't even which- – it wasn't like it was going to be on TV. They just used this picture to advertise something else about mosquitoes. So fantastic. Uh, and, yeah, and in the caption it said, "This is the mosquito recently restored in New Zealand," and, and actually acknowledged what it was. So you know, <laughs> and got uh, it right. <laughs> yeah, and, and got it right. Yeah. So you know, there's so, so many people came out to see it because it caught the public imagination. When they had the first air show in Auckland, it just totally overwhelmed the whole setup. We thought it would be just the fans and and their families come along. You know, the usual. Airshow circuit crowd, but you know most of Auckland wanted to come. By the, oh,
4: wow. by
3: the look of it, you know they they clogged up the motorways. They um, they basically, <laughs> you know, they, it really was uh, almost a disaster with too many people. But that display was so awesome. It was just incredible to stand there and watch that thing. It had flown two and a half hours. That's an entire test flight, yep. and and then it displayed and. Um, you know, Keith Skilling and Dave Phillips, got to give them credit, they're just awesome pilots. And yeah. the display that they those two put on um, at that event, just incredible. Every Everyone um, was, now this is the thing, even right through to the last air show here at Rapper, when it was flying, the crowd went silent. You know, no one's just talking away to their friends or anything. Everyone went completely silent when that thing was flying. And then at the end of the first display at Ardmore, and at the end of the last display at Wire Rapper, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Everybody was was wiping their eyes. I
2: mean, I was I was watching it like I was watching it at um, on videos, yep. and I was just like, "Ah, oh, ping, aeroneurophycosis for the win!" You know, it was like <laughs> just and and. The fir- the very first flight, there were photos and videos being loaded up on your on your bulletin board on uh, Wings Over New Zealand board. The um, just doing engine runs uh, yep. Yep. within within minutes of it actually taking off the ground, photos were uploaded on your board, <laughs> and <laughs> oh, uh, <no. laughs> you know, it was the place to follow what was happening with that. And just so- totally sit there going going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god.
3: The funniest thing was it first flew on the Thursday, and uh, I was there through till um, Sunday evening, sort of thing. I left Auckland, I had even looked at my forum at all in that whole time because I was there on the spot watching it live you know and um, uh, when I got home I was just wow there's pages and pages of photographs and comments and you know just couldn't believe it but yeah that that particular mosquito thread was being watched all around the world um, for those last few days before it flew because there's a lot of people waiting for it. I
0: I guess I have two questions over that too when you've got such a a high profile aviation event like that I guess anywhere in the world I guess it's always important to do a, a bit of good old fashioned Dream Building where there were a lot of younger folk there just watching in awe and, and, and able to take it in and appreciate just, just what it meant to have this aircraft flying? Did you get that sense?
3: Uh, yeah, I think there were a lot of a uh, lot of kids there. Um, I wasn't in the crowd as such because uh, I'd had a bit of a hand in, in helping organise the event with organising the veterans so I was in the veterans tent. Um, I found mosquito veterans all over New Zealand and we had um, two come over from three come over from Australia as well um, mosquito pilots so yeah um, so I was actually with the veterans and with the VIPs and, and you know, sort of wandering around with uh, Jerry and Elaine and all of them right there. Um But I, I did see the crowd a, a number of times, had a look and, and talk to people in the crowd. And I saw a lot of kids there for sure. But in the Kiwi air shows, there's always loads of kids, which is great. That's there's awesome. always loads of kids, yeah.
2: I know one group that was, I'm pretty sure were over there for it. Uh few folks from uh, Point Cook here in Melbourne where okay. the uh, Australian Mosquito Restoration Group are uh, underway there is uh, if you go to the um, the RWF Museum at Point Cook uh, they've got a mosquito there last time I was there they had a fuselage together and yeah it was still a long way to go but they were, they were working on it and I don't know if it's going to fly, but they're definitely working on uh, putting it together, at least for static, which will be great.
3: Yeah, that's great. I, I've had, I have actually had a look at it, um, photos of that, um, not for a while, but you know, it's a nice, nice looking restoration. It's always good to see another mosquito come back together.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm hearing rumours that there's a, <clears throat> another a few in a production jig going on at Ardmore, like there may be another three in, in process.
3: In New Zealand at the moment, there's the, there's a mosquito being restored in Christchurch at the Ferry Mead Aeronautical Society. And there's a static one. There's uh, Glenn Powell's, which will fly probably in the next two to three years. That's his own one. And then there is another one at Avspecs, which will probably fly in the next two to three years. There's also another mosquito on public display at MOTAT now, which has been restored to static. And there's a fifth mosquito, which is uh, in private hands at uh, Mapua, owned by John Smith. And he's got that in his shed. (laughs) There's a few of them around here at the moment. And... um,
2: New Zealand, the uh, new home of the mozzie.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know they've been here a while, some of them. So, and unfortunately, there were a lot more that went to people's farms and just died in farm paddocks. Yeah. Addicts, so. yeah. Oh.
0: Well, I tell you what, that uh, that restoration of that mosquito, and, and it's such a credit to uh, the local uh, Kiwi aviation scene in the industry over there. I just wonder, you, you, there was such you were saying there was such goodwill and such excitement in the all around New Zealand when it took to the skies. Uh, how was the feeling when they pulled it apart again and shipped it over to the US?
3: Oh, I think it was um, one of those things everyone knew. It was inevitable and yep. um pe- people were slightly sad when it came well were, were fairly sad when it came to its last display at uh hood aerodrome at wings over wire wrapper um you know it was quite an emotional thing to think you know we're not going to see it flying again because i uh, i'd had the privilege to see it uh, at the ardmore launch and then in november it was came down here to cambridge and flew at uh, armistice in cambridge which was fantastic and then uh, i saw it again at Ardmore for the um, Warbirds Open Day in December and then I saw it at Masterton in January and so you know I'd seen it a few times and I think a lot of other airshow fans have seen it a few times too so you kind of get used to it but um, you you never sort of felt well you know, we don't want them to take it because I, per, personally, I'll, I'm really pleased actually that it's, it's going to the States because I want American audiences to see how good the mosquito was. Yep.
2: Yeah, yeah. and yeah. how good that Kiwi restoration was. But that's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah, exactly true. right.
3: Absolutely.
2: So, yeah. so, so, Dave, here's a burning question. Can you ever have too much mosquito?
3: I don't think you probably could actually.
2: Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know of people who uh, – you know, they're, they're, oh yeah, I've seen them at Spitfire oh, I've seen them at must- I mean, I always stop and watch them I, I just Unless I'm, yeah. I've am i got some urgent mission that I have to do And even then I'm sort of trying to look at them And listen while I'm running along But yeah, you know, I'm at an air show, if they're flying I, I really try and stop and watch them Because the, oh, they're just absolutely. so beautiful
3: Absolutely, I totally agree I've, I've uh, seen comments on British forums Where people moan about how many you know There's too many Spitfires or something like that <laughs> What's the matter with you them? Yes, yeah, exactly And it <laughs> And honestly, you know, I oh, just I just don't understand some people. I, I can kind of feel that way with Harvards or
5: yeah, oh, yes, uh,
3: def, definitely with definitely with Cessnas. I you know, I don't even. Oh, there, yeah, steady at on. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's just no there's no soul in a Cessna. Come on, but but uh, I mean, you know, the Harvards. I, I actually will always watch our um uh, Harvard display team they're, they're fantastic and if if I can I'll always watch them in an air show but yeah I mean you can get a little bit blase about some other things that that are there chipmunks and stuff like that but you know who could do that with a mosquito or, or spitfire or you know, Mustang or anything like that. I mean, we've only got two Mustangs flying in New Zealand and one of them you hardly ever see. So Mustang's always a treat. Uh, I
0: I must say one of the things that took my breath away at Oshkosh when we went was when David Vanderhoof and I walked over to the Warbirds area and there was literally a squadron of P-51s sitting in this field, uh, all airworthy, all ready to go. And uh, it was breathtaking.
2: That was along with the Lightning, um, stack of P-40s. And, um, yeah, if you're over Harvard's, uh, yeah, just there's a, a paddock full of them. <laughs> it was. I was, joking, I was joking that I was seeing more than there were in the Kiwi Air Force until one of the guys pointed out. Yeah, maybe at the time a demobilisation of them, but there was there was well over thirty or forty Harvards in, in one paddock. It was. Oh. Fascinating.
0: I should mention there, too, that we were talking, you were talking there about Warren Denham from uh, AvSpecs, and uh, you actually did an interview with him, Dave, in episode 24 of the show. So uh, we'll make sure we put links to that in the show notes.
3: Yeah, yeah. Actually, Warren's been on a couple of times because he also appears in the uh, Wings Over Wire Rappers episode as yep. well, which was uh, the end of the Mosquitoes tour of New Zealand, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, make sure you have a listen to him in that one, too. It's pretty good. We also uh, had a little bit from Dave Phillips, who was one of the display pilots of the Mosquito.
0: Well, Dave, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. And uh, as I said, we've been wanting to have you on the show for quite some time. Uh, The Wings Over New Zealand show, uh, highly recommended, as we said at the start, 45 episodes. Dave, uh, tell our listeners where they can find it online.
3: Yeah, um, thank you very much, by the way. It's been great to be on on the show. And um, the Wings Over New Zealand show is at uh, nz slash wands underscore show. And uh, if you... It'll be in the show notes, folks. Yeah, it's it's a hard <laughs> one to find because it's tacked onto the Wings Over Cambridge show. But uh, you know, and also if you just go to uh, the Wings Over New Zealand forum, which just put in Wings Over New Zealand into Google, it'll come up. Yep. And we've got a section on there for people to talk about and give feedback on the show anyway, and all of the shows are linked from there. They they each have their own thread, so that's another easy way to find the shows as well.
2: You can also just Google Wings Over New Zealand podcast and get the the page as well. So. That's- Google is sure. your friend. That is, of course,
0: after you've listened to all the back catalogue of playing crazy down under. You know, we have to protect our interests here, Dave. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show, mate. Can we uh, entice you to come back periodically and uh, update us on happenings over there in, across the ditch?
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd be I'd be more than happy to, so uh, no worries there.
0: Fantastic. Uh, yep. Thanks very much, Dave, and we'll talk to you again soon.
3: Thank you. See you later. Thanks, mate.
0: Plan your flight, fly your plan with Oz Runways. Oz Runways turns any iPad or iPhone into a full-featured moving map GPS, complete with all the official Australian aviation charts. Oz Runways makes the task of creating and submitting a flight plan a breeze, and can be a great tool for improving situational awareness en route. Annual subscriptions start at only seventy-four ninety-nine. So get your copy today. For your free one-month trial, search for Oz Runways EFB in the iTunes Store. Or visit AusRunways.com. Oz Runways. know where you're going. Do you have the need,
1: the need for speed? JetRide Australia is a premier fighter experience in the country and the perfect gift for every budding top gun. From mild to wild, JetRide tailors each flight individually to give you the mind-blowing ride of your life. To make your dream a reality, check out jetride.com.au pcdu or Aussies can call 1300 554 876. JetRide. Forget the rest, fly with the best.
3: G'day, this is Owens Up. Just a quick note to let you know that my new ebook, 50
2: Tales of Flight, is now out on Amazon and iTunes. Find 50 Tales and my latest updates at owensup.com. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show with Grant and Steve.
0: OK, well, we're sitting up here on the flight deck of the KC-30A, and I'm talking to Flight Lieutenant uh, Simon Press and Warrant Officer David Bull. Gentlemen, thanks for spending some time with us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Now, uh, a very modern flight deck up here, and we've uh, we've uh, spent some time on some, some interesting aircraft during our journey here at Playing Crazy Down Under, but uh, lots of screens here and uh, very airliner-looking, actually. So well, tell us about some of the features of uh, this aircraft.
6: Well, in fact, it's uh, very close. In fact, it's almost identical to the, the standard Uh, commercial A330 uh, that Airbus produce. Uh, the difference that we have is a few extra uh, knobs and uh, buttons that are uh, specific to air-to-air refuelling. Otherwise, it's a standard Airbus cockpit. And, uh, Simon, how long have you been flying with the Air Force? I've been flying with the Air Force for uh, 12 years now. Yeah, and what did you fly before you came into the KC-30? Uh, previously coming into this aircraft, I was uh, instructing at Tamworth on the CT-4 aircraft. Uh, previous to that, I was flying the previous tank of the, the Boeing 707 uh, with 33 Squadron at Richmond. And previous to that, I uh, did a stint flying for the Army... Uh, flying for Blackhawks.
0: So, well, that's interesting. You've had experience on the 707. So were you involved uh, much with the development of of this program as it sort
6: of came to fruition? Not so much. Uh, We just saw the aircraft out to retirement with the old squadron, and uh, from there the project teams took over with acquisition of the the new tanker.
0: So obviously um, a different kettle of fish doing refuelling in one of these, or is some of the methods still the same?
6: The basic method is still the same. Uh, We apply our procedures as per... uh, a document called ATP-56, which is generally tanker procedures uh, for um, hose and drogue and boon refuelling. So the procedures themselves are generally different, it's just the way we do it within the Airbus is, is slightly different. A lot more automation would there be in this this aircraft, I imagine? A lot more automation. Obviously, the, the Boeing 707 is a first-generation uh, airliner, and this is the Latest Gen Four type airline.
0: And where did you uh, do your conversion? Did you? Uh, we know that a lot of the guys on the Seven Three Seven derivatives spent time with the airlines. Is that the way you uh, did your cross training for this?
6: Our first cadre pilots for the uh, squadron did do that. We uh, did our similar training with uh, with Qantas, their standard program for A three Thirty conversion. Uh, The first few pilots also did some line flying with Qantas, uh, about uh, 20 sectors or so. Uh, From there we started to get a few uh, bits and pieces into the squadron in terms of our own simulators and our own uh, training equipment, so we uh, only had a certain budget for the flying. So from a certain period we had uh, other pilots just do similar training with Qantas, And uh, from there, everyone did a uh, military differences conversion with Airbus Military uh, over in Getapo, where the aircraft are produced. Uh, From there, we generally do an in-house squadron conversion on our uh, simulator, do some uh, line training, and then the the category check, and generally you're online after that. Is the uh, simulator full motion? It's a a level five full motion simulator, also linked with the PTT, which has the uh, ARO console uh, in it as well.
2: Okay, so, and in the simulator, you can simulate giving and receiving fuel as well?
6: Exactly. Okay.
2: So um, let's talk about the differences. Um, as you were saying, it's a pretty standard side stick controller A330 kind of layout cockpit. Um, the differences are all overhead here where you're talking about the um, the refueling panel.
6: Yep. So the differences that are specific to air refueling, as you mentioned on the... Uh the console up above. We have the uh, to air refuelling pumps. There's six pumps there, which run the hydraulic pumps, which take the fuel from the wings out to the pods or to the boom and dispense it to uh, the receiver aircraft. Uh, you might also notice the um, port on each wing has a rat on the front of it, which also drives another fuel pump just to supplement the pressure at the other uh, wingtip there. Okay. Um,
2: is, that, the- is that ram air turbine, the rat going all the
6: time, or is it? Uh- yeah, it's free wheeling, so it's always uh, going as long as there's airflow. Over the uh, over the, the, and then just engage, engage the clutch, so to speak, and away it goes. It's all automatic. Okay. Yep, all automatic. Uh, other differences uh, up here is just a slightly different uh, antenna array, and the panel here we have for the uh, receiving operation. So we open the UAZ door with this, and we can also control manually the fuel onload if we uh, if we need to. Um, Otherwise, it's pretty standard. Heading down across the uh, the FCU, we have a, a bank angle mode, which is just a dial where you can uh, set the specific bank angle. Pull it, and the aircraft will roll at a predicted rate to that bank angle. So that's generally how we uh, turn in a track pattern uh, with the fighters on our wing.
2: Okay, yeah, I was going to say that. Just you're you're on autopilot when you're refueling, just to keep it steady.
6: When we're uh, when we're tanking, so when we're giving fuel, we're in our autopilot. When we're receiving. We uh, turn the automation off and we fly manually.
2: How do you find it to fly when you're receiving with um, side stick and computer controls and so on?
6: Well, we're not quite there yet. So because the boom isn't uh, certified, it's going under some, uh, undergoing some software remediation, uh, we haven't actually done receiving it. Okay. Some of our pilots in the squadron uh, have done. We have a, a, a US exchange officer who's uh, flown KC-10s and he has done uh, receiving from a boom. Um, however, we can actually do that in their simulator as well. So it's fully routed to um, simulate and practice receiving operations.
2: Yeah, and uh, there's no real difference, like the, the fly by wire system doesn't, you don't have to put in a special mode to say, hey, we're going to get up behind someone else with a lot of uh, turbulence?
6: Well, what we do have actually is uh, two extra flight control laws, which uh, your standard Airbus A330 wouldn't have. So uh, another switch on the refueling panel is the, uh, the mode switch. So we can go to uh, air tanker or air receiver. It changes the, the flight control laws depending on uh, which mode we're in, which form of tanking we're doing. Okay. And so, in addition to the uh, your setting, uh, what other ones on the, this panel were different? Or is it just mostly that one? That's it. That's the only okay. addition you'll find on the uh, FCU, which is different to the A330. Um, on this the center front console, we have the uh, flight receiver uh, control law. So that would engage if we're going to do receiving operations. All it does is uh, changes the law so the uh, aircraft uh, is a little bit more responsive. Um, being in behind another big, heavy aircraft, obviously you need to uh, be able to move. But it's not so sensitive it's going to um, be erratic.
0: Do you find, um, you know, going from a Boeing product where you've you know, got the conventional control yoke, and going over there to the Airbus, we, we hear around from Airbus pilots that there's no feedback through the stick. Is that a challenge for you to, to learn? Did you find that challenging to pick up on?
6: Not really, um, because uh, with all the automation working, uh, you have so much protection that you can't really go wrong. Um, there's other warnings that tell you if you're getting uh, to a slow speed or to a high speed and the aircraft will just protect itself. Um, and in terms of flying, mainly we just set an attitude and let the aircraft hold that attitude and it'll do what we want. Um, It's really just flying a a computer, really, when you think about it. Um, So you get used to that way of flying. So I guess that's what a sense takes over as as opposed to the old push-pull with the, the yoke.
0: And you talked about a track pattern before, I think you called it, when you were refuelling. Can you describe for our listeners how you would set that up? It seemed to me the other day when the aircraft was doing the refuelling of the Hornets, it seemed to me at least that you were in a constant or pretty constant bank. Is that that how you do it?
6: Uh, There's two phases. So generally we have uh, the rendezvous. Previous to that we'll we'll, uh, set up a hold. So it's the standard hold function that you have in the FMGS for the A330. So we would uh, pick a waypoint. We would uh, just do a lateral vision, put in the uh, the hold parameters, so a... uh, a track length and a track uh, width or an angled bank and it just sets up a, a racetrack on that, um, on that waypoint. From there we'll uh, co-ord with the receivers and uh, we'll generally tend to meet them head on and we'll turn about 20 miles in front of them so that they end up about one to two miles behind the hose. From there we just, uh, we'll either do two things, we'll follow the, the tanking track as required and they will simply just refuel in sequence or if we're operating within a certain airspace, we can actually uh, go off that track and we can move around to drag the Hornets uh, to the piece of airspace they need to be. You're saying you're communicating to
2: the re- receivers. Yes. Uh, is that direct communication with the pilots, or is it the, uh, the boom operator the Init- tank?
6: Initially when the uh, fighters join the proximity of the tanker, it'll be the, uh, the pilot flying talking to the receivers, once they're in visual range uh, and the arrow has them on their um, screens, we'll hand the radios over to the uh, air refueling operators so they can conduct the sequence behind the tanker.
0: Well, of course, that uh, that segues nicely over to you, Dave. Can you describe your role and uh, what you do here on the flight deck? Okay, my role is the aerial
5: refueling operator. Once the uh, aircraft have been handed over to me, I will then start refueling them. Prior to that, I'll know what aircraft are meant to be turning up. I can program it into the computer. I'll tell the computer what side I want the aircraft on and how much fuel I'm going to dispense. Makes it a lot easier once the aircraft arrive. From there, I will select which aircraft I want and uh, put it across onto the pods page, different computer system. From there, I'll then tell the aircraft to come across and go behind which hose. Once they're behind the hose, I'll give them clear contact to join onto the hose. They will join on the hose, push forward a few feet, get into the refuelling range, and the uh, aircraft will then dispense the amount of fuel that uh, I've uh, input. If the pilots want more, I can up it, or if they want less, I can uh, decrease the amount of fuel.
0: So you can control the flow rate as you?
5: Uh I can control how much they take on, not the flow rate. Right. The aircraft will uh, control how much it will take on.
0: And we should describe for our listeners, we'll have some pictures in the show notes, but uh, well, basically you're sitting in a panel that's facing uh, backwards, and uh, you've, you've basically got cameras, and as you described, computer displays and uh, a bit of switch gear here, so it's all um, you know, pretty high-tech.
5: Yeah, I've got uh, three main cameras, which will give me 180-degree vision behind the aircraft. Then I've got uh, two other cameras, which are inspection, which I can uh, rotate individually and zoom, so I take them in and out on the aircraft. And for the boom system, there is a 3D, dedicated 3D camera
0: system. Yeah, and I notice you've got a cabinet here that says 3D goggles. Yeah, the glasses,
5: very high-tech, are just the same as what you'd have on a normal 3D television.
0: Right, so you could uh, stop into Harvey Norman or, you know, Village Cinemas or something and pick up some <laughs> spears.
5: Probably, yeah. Is that 3? Is the uh, 3D so that you can get the depth perception when you're operating the boom? Yes, it is. So we can... Uh, You can fly the boom in 2D, except that uh, once you get close, if you've got no shadowing, you can't get the perception, so the 3D will give you the depth perception necessary. Just like you're uh,
0: in the old days of the KC-135, you're sitting in the back looking out the window. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you uh, I noticed the other day when we were doing the uh, refuelling flight that the, the, the hose streams out a fair way. You can vary that length, I assume, for whatever requirement?
5: No. Once we uh, trail the hose, the hose will go out approximately 94 feet and it'll just sit out there. Once the aircraft hooks onto the hose, it'll push it forward into the refuelling range, which is probably about four feet in, and then they've got a a range of about 20 feet that they can move in and out of.
0: Now, does this aircraft, does it have additional stores for fuel compared to a normal A330, or where is that fuel coming from? Have you got an extra tank underneath?
5: No extra tanks at all. The fuel comes from the standard aircraft fuel tanks.
0: And so, uh, it's probably hard to say, I was going to say, how many how many sort of, if you were up refuelling a package of Hornets, say, you know, how many could you do? Would it depend on what they need and what they're doing, I suppose?
5: Yeah, exactly. Depending on how long we've got to sit out on station, how far away from uh, base we are, and uh, how much fuel they'd require.
0: Now, were you in the refuelling game before you came to the uh, KC-30? No, I'm a flight engineer by uh, trade, and I came from the Caribou. Right. <laughs> Everybody we talked to came from the Caribou, I've noticed. <laughs> no, I, I saw the
5: Caribou out, and uh, I've come across to this now.
0: So that's that's an interesting, isn't it? Because that uh, the flight engineer is um, you know with the uh, C-130H going is uh, becoming a thing of the past here in the Air Force.
5: Yeah, the uh, Orion is the only aircraft now that has the uh, the engineer. So th- this will now be a uh, a loadmaster position.
2: Now I know we've got uh, two aft-facing seats here, two
5: 3D bays. Two people can do the tanking. Uh, one person does. Where I'm sitting on the uh, left-hand side is the uh, primary aerial refuelling operator seat. The one on the right-hand side is the instructor, if it's mainly for the uh, booming, because you've got the dual sets of uh, controls. Depending on where the uh, switching is, I can either have only my side working, put it in the middle to instructor, and the instructor has priority, so if he wants to take over, or I can have it uh, on his seat, and he's purely the one that does the refuelling. Now, uh, we're looking here at at everything
2: related to uh, passing gas. As the phrase goes, uh, when you're uh, receiving, what role do you have, uh, are you at any way re- involved with the uh, receiving? Is there anything you do on your system?
5: N- my system, no, there's nothing at all. It's all done from uh, the front. Yep, just plug in and away you go. Yep. Okay. Uh,
2: I notice you've got the uh, receipt door manual lever. Is that uh, just in case the uh, automatic opening and closing of the door doesn't work? You can force it to open up yeah. and it just happens to be there because it's close enough to it. <laughs> it
0: it's straight above us well gentlemen uh, thanks very much for letting us up here on the flight deck once again the second time for me in uh, a couple of days so it's, uh, it's been a real thrill and uh, very interesting thanks very much all well you're welcome thank, thank you thanks,
7: Wing Commander Jonathan McMullen welcome to Playing Crazy Down Under I've actually been really looking forward to meeting you guys. I've honestly heard so much about you. I oh Never God. knew you existed until yesterday, and then now all I hear is playing crazy. <laughs> that's really scary. I'm, I'm, I'm actually concerned. We now have a reputation to live down to. This is great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, you're well sold to me. <laughs> Excellent. Now, Jonathan, uh,
7: you're Wing Commander. You're in charge of uh, the Heron. I am. Um, now, that's five <laughs> flight. Which squadron's that under? At the moment, we come under 82 Wing, which is in Air Combat Group. However, uh, quite topically, on the 4th of April, we'll transition to Surveillance and Response Group, which has the uh, P-3 or, or the AP-3s. So you'll be mixing it in with the, uh, with the P-3, which I guess is eventually going to wind up with the... the uh P8, which is the replacement, yeah. And also two-squadron, so... Yeah, two-squadron with the uh, Wedgetail. Correct. And looking at the role the Heron's performing, primarily, you know, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance in Afghanistan, it's quite well aligned with Surveillance and Response Group. Now, last time, uh, two years ago at the previous Avalon Air Show, we
2: um, came here and we saw the heron. It was only here on the trade days. It had pretty much come straight in from Afghanistan, was trucked in, set up, displayed. A lot of things have happened in two years. Can you uh, run through what's gone on in, say, the last two or so years?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Probably one of the, uh, well, that one you saw at Avalon, that was then transitioned to Woomera, and that was the very first time we ran heron training in Australia and I was the detachment commander for that rotation. So it's quite, uh, quite topical really, that from Avalon in 2011, was when we very first bought the first airframe here, it left here, went to Woomera, and the team that I led in Afghanistan in 2011, then went to Woomera and flew this platform for the first time in Australia. In two years, going from a nascent capability where Australia's gone, let's get you know one RPA or two, well, sorry, remotely piloted aircraft, or two remotely piloted aircraft in Afghanistan, to deliver intelligence surveillance or reconnaissance, sorry, immediately to the soldier on the ground. We've now got all our training in Australia. We've now got three platforms in theater. We've now extended the hours we fly. We used to fly about two and a half thousand hours a year. We're now flying 6,600 hours per year in Afghanistan. That's really huge, that's a a lot of time. I mean, what's the typical mission duration? It changes, but the longest we've done is about 21.3 hours. But since we spoke to you last time, We've introduced dual operations in Afghanistan, so we now have the ability to fly two aircraft at once on two different missions, or on the same mission, um, exploiting different capabilities of the aircraft, creating the best effect from having two, two completely separate, remotely piloted aircraft, plus two completely separate crews in the intelligence center, combining for a mission or doing their own missions. So now this place that we're sitting in at the moment, this is for one aircraft. You would fly one aircraft out of here. So you've got two of these and- Correct. The... In Afghanistan, we have three ground ground control stations. So this is an advanced ground control station or a GCS. Uh, so we have three of these in Afghanistan. We have three remotely piloted aircraft vehicles or air vehicles in Afghanistan. And we have three data terminals so we can we could realistically fly three completely separate missions um, at any given time. Contractually we, we do two, but we have the ability there, if we absolutely had to, to be able to fly three air vehicles at the same time. Okay. So I imagine that you've got
2: a couple out in operation and the third one is, at any one time, a third vehicle's probably on the ground getting some routine maintenance and things absolutely. like that. Absolutely.
7: Yep. So the way we try and structure it is that we have two fully serviceable air vehicles at any given day to perform two tasks or one task or one to provide relief in place for the other air vehicle sometimes we're doing a long mission we might fly one air vehicle for 21 hours but at about the 18 hour mark we'll launch the second air vehicle to take over enabling us to do true 24 hour 48 hour 72 hour operations. What kind of packages have you got on board? At the moment as I said we're, we're using it primarily as an intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance mission, uh, airframe so we have a day night camera so a full motion video capability now we can push that full motion video to the soldier on the ground to a rover terminal and also bring it back into our ground mission station where our intelligence teams sit. And we've also got an electronic warfare capability on the aircraft and we've just fitted a radar to one of the air platforms in theater.
2: Oh, so yeah quite a
7: quite an extensive array of equipment on board yeah so in two years we've significantly changed the way we do business in afghanistan we're providing a significantly more comprehensive service to the australian soldiers and coalition partners on the ground probably the biggest single change is the fact that we now do all our training in australia uh, initially we we're doing a little bit of training in canada or israel um, before sending guys to afghanistan now we recognize that The more realistic training we can give our air vehicle operators or pilots and our payload operators in Australia better prepares them for the conflict in Afghanistan and they are significantly better prepared the day they roll in to support the Australian soldiers on the ground. So in Woomera we're doing uh, about six weeks now but the last ten days is all my team running Afghan type simulations on the ground for the trainees. And Woomera is a fantastic environment because it replicates Afghanistan in so many ways. And because my team from Five flight are rolling in and out of theater all the time, the guy who's just come back from Afghanistan uh, on the last rotation is in my team and then he will develop the scenarios for the next time for that current training lot. So when they roll in, they know the latest and greatest of how we're using this aircraft in Afghanistan. So yeah, making sure everyone keeps current and is right on the ball as soon as there's very little downtime exactly and we're we're showing and trying to teach our people and simulating what the conflict looks like in afghanistan on the ground right now everything except the bullets exactly so we're
2: inside the ground control station Um,
7: it's like a small container so it's easily shipped around on the back
2: of a truck you've got two what appears to be two major console divisions here i note both
7: have the joystick so does that mean either can be the payload operator either can be the pilot that's correct they're both fully redundant so you can be the air vehicle operator or the pilot uh, from left or right. Traditionally we use the air vehicle operator in the right hand seat which is quite foreign most aircraft you know the captain will be left seat. The air vehicle operator the pilot sits in the right seat the payload operator sits in the left seat behind me now, but yes both completely redundant if something should go wrong with the pilot station flick a switch and we come over and take control of the air vehicle from the left station. With the control of the aircraft you've got the, um, the stick
2: here do you say go out to this waypoint and set up a track out there or is the person
7: continuously flying it like a remote control plane technology so this beast is only used for taxing the aircraft around nose wheel steering etc and getting the aircraft around on the ground once it's airborne it's got an automatic takeoff and landing feature you might remember from last yes. time so it's got ATOL, automatic yep. takeoff and landing so button selection over there uh, to enable takeoff once it's airborne by manipulating the upper screen you can see there on the right hand side by creating waypoints is how we fly the aircraft okay. Excellent. so this only ever used on the ground that would also be used by the sensor operator as well too. very true so and then when we come down to operating the payloads then the payload is completely controlled by the joystick so the joystick can do either function so for the aviator he's using a taxi aircraft around at the same time i can be over here maneuvering the camera around clearing the obstacles etc prior to take off or just after landing we've covered a bit about what's new since uh, for the last couple of years how you're training here
2: pretty much how inside the uh, environment is So uh, you know you've got big banks of all the computers of course and the comms gear it's, it's all comms and sensors no, no nothing that uh, gets dropped off or uh,
7: left as a say hello so because of course it's uh, it's intelligence surveillance reconnaissance yeah it's completely unarmed ISR platform eyes in the sky yeah and I think I don't know if mentioned earlier but you know 16,000 hours in three years 98% reliability it's just, it is just an amazing platform. I think there's uh, not many aircraft around, manned or unmanned, that could claim those statistics. Exactly, that was the big thing for the two years, isn't it? That's a, a, quite a, a stunning achievement. Yeah, so I think if you go over the 17,000 hour mark, that's almost two full years in the air out of the three years that we've had it. And of course, all being done with the ability to rotate crew in here while the aircraft's still in the area. So, absolutely. Continuous
2: fit, live feed of information as required.
7: Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, as I said, we can support a seven-day operation, continually have a platform on top Australian soldiers and coalition partners on the ground for seven days straight. That's just it's a, phenomenal capability. Yeah, it's totally changing the
1: battlefield, isn't it? Yeah,
7: absolutely. Yeah. And to be able to push that directly to the commander on the ground so that he can see the battle space is just, you know, phenomenal. So quite an impressive piece of kit. How did you get to uh, the position? from uh, man on the street to running the,
2: uh, being the CEO of the operation?
7: Yeah, well, certainly, firstly, an honour and a privilege. But I was very, very fortunate. I joined the Air Force as an airborne electronics analyst in the back of the P-3 Orion. And then after about 10 years of doing that, decided that I wanted to be a navigator or a tactical commander on the P-3. So I went and did nav course, or commissioned as an officer in the Air Force, and went and did nav course, went back to P-3 Orion's, where I was a navigator and then a tactical uh, coordinator on the aircraft. And then when I was promoted to squad leader, I had a ground job and I went up to RAF Base Ambley as exile of the base, so I was in my first ground job. From there, I got subsumed into the Super Hornet project because I had a background in operations and some electronic warfare, etc. Yeah, I was very, very fortunate to be subsumed into the Super Hornet project and from there I was given the opportunity after about 18 months to go away with Rotation 5 as the detachment commander and train as a payload operator on this aircraft and then lead a team into Afghanistan and arguably did a reasonable job. So when I came back, they made me the commanding officer of the unit. Uh, Where do you see things going from here? Government decision, obviously. But I, I think it would be very hard to argue against a remotely piloted aircraft type of capability being part of the future. It's just doing so well in Afghanistan now, providing that overwatch of Australian troops. It'd be very hard to see us not having that capability long term. Jonathan, thank you very much for coming on the show, really appreciate your time. Oh, it's been a buzz to meet Plane crazy. It's nuts how much i heard about it during the last 24 hours. So I truly thank you for your time.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, Grant, uh, the Heron, they really should name it the McHeron. You know, we, we should talk to the RAF about that, I think.
7: Yeah, I think
2: i got more chance of winning the lotto.
0: Well, you know, Grant, it's uh, it's a very important part of uh, most uh, air forces these days, obviously using these remote piloted vehicles. And I know with interest that uh, the, uh, the government this week, actually, in the news, is uh, just putting out some feelers to the US about uh, perhaps uh, increasing that uh, unmanned aerial vehicle uh, capacity just a little. So, we'll, you know, it's, it's interesting times for sure.
2: Definitely, mate. Definitely. And uh, yeah, lo- love them or hate them. It's, it's happening. We're going to wind up with a whole lot more drones and uh, remotely piloted vehicles and things like that. So uh, better to get in and get used to them and make sure, as CASA is doing at the moment, that all systems are going and they're going to integrate well with the uh, with the airspace. But, uh, yeah, we'll see where that one goes, mate.
0: I'll tell you what, mate, how are we going to interview any Air Force pilots if they all end up just being a computer operators sitting in a shipping container somewhere?
2: Oh, don't worry. I'm sure they'll enjoy the odd beer here and there.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they will. Actually, they can probably have more beer if they're doing that. Who knows? Ah, <laughs> interesting thought. <laughs> could, could be a job for you, my friend. <laughs> Excuse me while I sit here and click and drink. yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Hold
2: my beer and watch this. No, not a good look. <laughs>
0: Anyway, well, folks, at the start of the show, you may recall that uh, we mentioned that we're bringing yet another new member to the team. I tell you what, Grant, the roster's getting very big now, isn't it?
2: I know, I know. We're going to have to, uh, it's going to cost us more and more to do the uh, team
0: get-togethers, I tell you. Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. And somebody who's uh, taking on uh, just the same pay packet as everybody else and joining the team, uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome to the show, Micah Lee. G'day, Micah. G'day, gentlemen. How are we all? Very well, mate, and uh, welcome to the show. And mate, I tell you what, uh, we we love getting uh, enthusiastic listeners to the show, and uh, so much so that uh, we decided to draft you into the show.
8: Oh, I know know how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I should
0: tell our listeners, in fact, that you've already been up to Echuca and uh, done some work for us there, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But uh, you know, as we do with everybody that's new to the show, uh, now you're a professional pilot. You work in the regionals. Uh, tell us a bit of the Michael Lee story.
8: I've uh, had a few careers uh, before me. I. Uh, actually uh, studied in media. I studied uh, media at university and uh, entered the uh, television industry uh, for about about two years after leaving university. I got a little bit tired of that, you know, like, like all of us, I uh, caught the aviation bug and it, pretty much uh, took its course from there now uh, it was all downhill from there as they say pretty <laughs> much all well you could say skybound
0: well uh, before you got into it, let's talk about the media career because obviously that uh, you know is very interesting to us here <laughs> apart from the aviation but uh, what sort of roles did you do within the television media can you tell us I-
8: I trained as a news cameraman and uh, did a bit of training and work uh, in the uh, regional TV stations out in uh, New South Wales. Then I uh, went to Sydney and uh, worked in uh, broadcast operations for a big government television station. That was just uh, the recording of uh, material and playing out of uh, material on,
0: on air. Now, you and I have been talking over the last few weeks, and I, I note with interest that uh, you also spent some time working on the railways in some capacity.
8: Yes, yes, that's uh, something I, I sort of do Keep quietly, but uh, no, the uh, railway interest is parallel to uh, the aviation interest as well. I worked for a number of uh, preserved uh, heritage societies back in New South Wales when I lived there.
0: So let me get this straight. You, you've started with an involvement in railways, moved into media, and now you're in aviation, which is kind of the mirror image of mine where I started in aviation, you know, and uh, now I'm in media and the railways. So how does that work, I wonder?
8: Actually, yeah, you, you're spot on there. It's uh, We've we pretty much sort of
2: developed uh, in the opposite direction, really.
0: Well, there you go, Grant. That's an opportunity for you to get into the railways. <laughs> oh, no, don't
2: <laughs> don't tease. <laughs> like, Steve keeps telling me about how good it is to, uh, to work for the railways. I'm just scared beyond belief that uh, Steve will one day be my trainer, if I wind up in the uh, <coughs> railways, they—they uh, they, uh, from what I understand, they pay pretty
0: well than yeah, what
8: well. I what I currently earn and probably what Grant currently earns.
0: Yeah, well, I'll never tell. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So well, it beats working for a living. That's what I tell everybody. But the good thing is, it leaves uh-huh. more time for me to do the, all this cool new media stuff. So you know, it's it's a trade off. It's a good trade off, Micah. Um, we say we drafted you into the show, but uh, actually, you very kindly volunteered to do some work, and you've been uh, emailing backwards and forwards to us probably since about October, November last year, and uh, we've we finally. Uh, found some, uh, some work for you, and actually, you flew yourself up to Ichuka uh, recently and uh, covered an event up there for us.
8: That's uh, correct. I uh, flew out of uh, Aldinga in uh, South Adelaide. I uh, hired a uh, sports star, flew up to Ichuka uh, for the Antique Aeroplane Association of Australia National Rally. It's a pretty uh, big event, in my opinion, on the uh, aviation calendar.
0: Fantastic. And uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed about uh, you going up there is that uh, with your media experience, you know how to edit and uh, (laughs) you've done some fantastic editing for us and uh, you've got a little teaser for us, which we'll play in just a moment. But uh, you say you uh, hired a sports star. It wasn't Baz Sheffer's sports star, I I assume.
8: No, no, it was uh, from the uh, local flying school in Aldinga. Yeah, I should get in touch with Baz and make friends with him.
0: (laughs) I think he's trying to (laughs) sell that aircraft. He might try and flock it to you. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, that's, oh, if I can afford it, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, Baz, if you can afford it.
0: Now, Micah, uh, you know, we, whilst, uh, as is the case with everybody who uh, works in professional aviation, we can't obviously uh, identify who you work for and all that sort of stuff, and that's fine. Uh, we're very uh, used to uh, dealing with that situation. But I guess uh, we did mention you're in the regional, so uh, that's going to actually present a, a great opportunity for the show because uh, you're able to get around to areas of Australia that, let's face it, uh, most of the rest of us can't. And I imagine that, uh, you know, in some of the more uh, regional areas of Australia Australia, there must be some uh, rather unique aviation stories that uh, you might uh, be able to get a chance to cover from time to time.
8: Absolutely. Uh, I, I find myself travelling around uh, the state in my spare time uh, pretty much just looking at obscure aviation interests, really. I can find myself uh, making random visits to airfields and I'll get stuck there for hours just listening to stories and you know being shown around people's hangars and aircraft. And uh, I'm happy to present some stories for the podcast in that
0: respect. Well, fantastic. And you're based over in South Australia. So, uh, you know, if our listeners have uh, got any story suggestions that they might like to pass on to us, well, you can always drop us a line here, contact at playingcrazydownunder.com, A new fancy email address grant, and uh, we'll be happy to send assignments off for Micah and, of course, any of our other reporters. So we've got them all over the country now. So uh, we'd love to create work for uh, people that work for us, don't we, mate?
2: Oh, mate, like you wouldn't believe. It's not just me that Steve creates work for anymore. I'm so happy.
0: And actually, I've been doing a lot of that today, actually. I've been uh, plowing lots of work onto Grant, so it's a wonder he's even speaking to us at all by this stage of the show. Oh,
2: well. Uh, I've stepped away from the computer for a little and come back. I'm okay. I'll, 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 I'll survive.
0: Well, Micah, uh, welcome to the team. Thanks for uh, volunteering to come on board with us. And uh, as we uh, play out here, we'll uh, talk to you next time. And uh, we will just drop in here to the uh, the nice little teaser that you've made for your trip to Ichuka.
8: My pleasure. My pleasure. Until next time. The,
5: the thing that we love about the association is, you know, the, the, the camaraderie of everyone in the association. Um, and that extends to everyone. It doesn't matter what aeroplane you fly. Um, you know, as, as you see out on the field today, there's, you know, there's aircraft
4: right up to, you know, current, you know, home-built aeroplanes. And then uh, decide which one is the one we wanted to keep. After a year, I said, "Well, we're selling the CT4," and Andrea said, "No, you can't." So I agreed rather rapidly. So uh, it's sort of grown from there. Well, that's that's the thing I like about it. It's a very nice plane to fly. It's very stable in the air.
0: Um, it, it's not fast. It's about 93, 95 knots. Um, but it's, it's you know it's, it's fast enough for me. And uh, if you like flying, it means you're up there more, longer period of time. Anyway, so yeah, that's a great thing. I've
1: been trying to bribe this
8: one for a while, so. Finally,
7: taking all those girls for a fire it's finally paid off. Hands off, he's mine. I may be small, but I'm
8: vicious. <laughs> and Warbirds, aircraft which were produced and operated by militaries of any nation. We we're always... CT-4s... Yaks and Nanchangs and the occasional S211 Air Mackey jet. However, even though the weekend is famed for classic aircraft, the association are easygoing and hospitable towards all aviators and their flying machines.
6: I just love the old the old aircraft that, uh, the way they're built the way they smell the sound of them uh, and the fact that people you know, keep them airborne you know, I, I own an antique myself you know so it's um it's just it, it's part of history and it's always nice to own part of history
7: Ever dreamt of flying in a warbird? Why not strap yourself in for pure excitement and let a supercharged radial engine take you up to speeds of 200 knots? Dare to push the boundaries as you experience up to 6.5G, fully aerobatic or simply take in the spectacular scenery of Western Port Bay, French and Phillip Islands with 360-degree views. Come and join us at Adventure Wings in Turidan and take flight in our Nanchang CJ6A. Playing crazy down under listeners get the 15-minute flight for only $250. That's a saving of $30. Call us on 0418 525 658 or visit our website, adventurewings.com.au. Flying every weekend and other times by appointment. adventurings Leave the ordinary behind.
1: Game challenge begins. Launch. Circular orbit. Rapid rendezvous. Intercept and dock with International Space Station.
6: All engine running. Liftoff, tower clear. We get a roll
1: for me? Roll for Push way. the ISS to higher orbit. We're through the like the Rescue the VA astronauts. Avoid space debris.
9: Destroy debris We're with missiles. Protect the ISS for as long as possible.
1: Deorbit, Planned. survive.
9: All in a day's work. We had a pretty large bank. We had a problem here. Motion control, both autos. He's in action. Command override off.
10: We've had shutdown.
1: Leo, low Earth orbit. A game from SkyrocketCafe.com.
0: Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media
4: Network.
3: The VoicesInYourHead.com
0: And welcome back, folks. Well, I tell you what, Micah, uh, I tell you what, even from that little teaser, mate, he, uh, he certainly knows how to edit. This could be very handy for the show, I'm thinking. Oh, I'm thinking this could
2: get you out of a whole lot of work. You must be one very happy boy.
0: That poor guy. He's got no idea what he's volunteered for, has he? I know. I think it's all downhill from here. <laughs> anyway, mate, uh, we're moving on. We've got a very packed show this week, and uh, so we've got a lot to get out. Now, just moving back to Avalon, uh, seeing as we've had a few of our Avalon interviews there, and uh, you may remember back in episode 103, I think it was, Grant, that we spoke to Charles Cheeseman from uh, Eco 2000.
2: That's right, mate. Uh, I sat down and recorded a nice long interview with Charles talking about the company and their products that they have for sale. But unfortunately, it was a bit too long for the daily updates that we were putting out during the show. So we cut it into two parts. The first part was uh, Charles talking to us about the company and the ZI-400 aircraft cleaner they sell. Well, the second half, uh, we present the remaining part of the interview where Charles tells us about their ZOC-27 turbine engine cleaner. So you've got the ZI-400 for cleaning the surface of the aircraft. Now, the other major product that you've got is the ZOC-27, which That's is correct. a turbine engine cleaner. Yes, gas so, path cleaner. Okay. So, okay. Define what a gas path is and, and what the cleaner does there.
10: Okay, well, as quick as I can describe, inside your, your, your jet engine that everyone just happens to have, there's a, a, a compressor section and then you've got a hot section. Now, inside that engine needs to be kept clean to keep it efficient. And the more efficiently they run, the big thing is the less fuel they burn and the less emissions they expel from the exhaust. So it's very, very important. And and people do tend to underestimate the importance of compressor washing. Now, obviously... When you're going to throw something down the throat of a multi-million dollar jet engine you can't throw anything in there so you've got to use something that's uh, specifically been designed for that purpose is it an extension of the zi400 or is it no, a it's whole a new a completely different product EK2000 is the Oceania distributor for the Zoc. It's manufactured by Zoc International in the United Kingdom and we represent them here in in Oceania.
2: So what's specific about it? I mean could you just wash your turbine by hosing it down while it's ticking over? With, a, with a, what, what, What's specific about going through that, the compression stage and the, and the um, ignition combustion area and further back?
10: Okay, there's two ways of, of washing a gas turbine. We have what's known as an online wash. And an offline wash. An online wash is when the engine's actually running, and you spray it in the front of the engine, and it will do a bit of cleaning, and then it'll get burnt and consumed in the in the yep. in the in the hot end. The other way is an offline wash, where the engine is actually stopped. Uh, the product is then sprayed into the engine, and the engine is turned over on the starter without the the fuel being added and the igniter being used. So it's spun, then the engine sits for 20 minutes and then there's a rinse done with preferably deionized water and then the engine is lit to dry it out. So that would go through and um,
2: break down all the um, all the, the grime that's being accumulated from the carbon byproduct of burning. Uh, you know, like any any engine with the burning going on in there and fuel products, there. like look inside any older car and you're going to see buildups on a, on the, um, the spark plugs, things like that. So it's, yeah. it's going through cleaning that out, so it breaks down all the um, bonds that hold that onto
10: the surfaces. It, it is, but but uh, just as importantly, or maybe even more importantly, it's cleaning the compressor section at the at the start of the engine. You have your compressor section, which is a, which is a set of blades. Yep. Which compresses the, the the air and forces it into the into the hot section un, under pressure. Now the blades will pick up dirt and, and salt and and all sorts of things from the environment because they're spinning around. There's a lot of air moving in, in through the engine, so the bits bits of contaminants in the air stick to the blades, and that changes the airfoil section and they become less efficient. Yep, and that's. That's really point number one. You need to clean that that the, the compressor section. What you do in down in the hot section, again, that's a bit of an added bonus. Okay. It's very important, but you're primarily looking at your comp- compressor section to improve your efficiency. So that's where the big saving is in the compressor. Yeah, you, you you will get a lot of carbon, and and it's a bit of a, a moot point in in the industry. Some engineers say. Oh, don't worry about your hot section because it's irrelevant and some say no it's very important so different engineers had different viewpoints i'm not an engineer so i declined to comment <laughs> You just go for a well look. It does
2: this and that, so hey, there's double benefit. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah. so yeah, once again, doing it in the wash bay, taking care, running it through either either the um, the running or the not the cold tick over. So you've cleaned out your jet engine. Then you do your surface of your aircraft. Uh, that's pretty much covered most of the things that will help ensure your aircraft is staying in good condition
10: and giving you the best bang for the buck. Sure, we do have one more. Yeah, if I can go just that, we, we do have a product called Clean Screen. Oh, and. You can probably guess that's for cleaning your windows. I've got a wild idea on that one. <laughs> uh, also really good on, on glasses, sunglasses, reading glasses. Very environmentally friendly cleaner. Simple to use. It's like anything else. It's a liquid. You spray it on and you buff it off with a, uh, a soft cloth and it'll take all the, all the grime off your windscreen. It won't damage anything. It doesn't contain any solvents. Doesn't contain any alcohol. Doesn't contain any hydrocarbons. Yeah, this is so pretty very, cool. Yeah, it's pretty amazing product. People love it. It induces beading, so you'll get the water beading on the outside of the windscreen if, if you fly through rain or, or whatever, and it will help to reduce fogging on the inside. That's fantastic. Uh, good product. Very very popular. And works for reading glasses as well. It does computer screens. Oh, fantastic. It, iPhones. <laughs> I think we have a market. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for your time.
2: Really appreciate you you coming on the show. And yeah, good luck with all that. That sounds like some amazing products. It sounds like everyone should be getting out there and cleaning their aircraft with the ZI-400. Absolutely,
10: for sure. Thanks, mate. Thank you.
0: Well, there we go, mate. That's one for the more technically minded amongst our audience. And, uh, you know, it's always good to know that uh, we've got a few of those there. And I hope they found that interview there with Charles interesting. And uh, we want to thank him for supporting our coverage of Avalon. It's always good to have new sponsors on board the show. And, uh, you know, particularly when they've got an interesting product like that.
2: Uh, Definitely, mate. Uh, They were a lot of fun. They were actually the first company to sign on to uh, advertise during the show with us. And uh, yeah, that really helped. It was wonderful to have them with us. And I really enjoyed the chat.
0: Yeah, great Aussie company. So make sure you get out there and support them to allow our aircraft owners amongst you, there's uh, there's plenty of you I'm sure, well in fact we know that for a fact Grant in fact uh, we should uh, make sure Ben Jones does that as I notice he's currently in the process of uh, building an aircraft in his kitchen
2: Yep mate, he's in the process of being a serial aircraft owner but (laughs) um, yeah, you can also apparently use it on your cars if you remember correctly Um, back in the original one, back in 103 where we were talking about the aircraft cleaner that uh, yeah, some people actually uh, who have it for their aircraft occasionally
0: use it on their car too Yeah, outstanding, excellent stuff Okay, uh, moving on now, let's uh, announce here, Grant, the winners of our uh, Flight Path TV competition that we announced in the last episode. Took all of about, uh, I reckon, maybe not even quite 24 hours, I guess, uh, from the time (laughs) the episode went live, until we gave those three copies of the uh, DVD sets away from Flight Path TV. And it was uh, really nice of the guys to uh, donate that to the show and to our listeners. And now the question, of course, Grant, was... What was the name of the company that took the remaining A4 Skyhawks and the Mackies
2: from New Zealand? Yeah,
0: they purchased them and they took them back to the US and that was, of course, Grant
2: uh, that was, of course, Draken International of Lakeland, Florida. Uh, that's why the uh, aircraft wound up being seen at Sun and Fun, because Draken came in to ensure there were some combat jets in the absence of the US military due to sequestration.
0: Oh, fantastic. I wish we'd been there. So congratulations to Errol Cavett. Now, I knew Errol would be right on it. He's a listener from New Zealand, long-time listener to the show, and is always sending us all sorts of interesting emails and stuff. So, Errol, well done, mate. You didn't let me down. I knew you'd be one of the winners there. Uh, our good friend Alex James over in China uh, was also a lucky winner, and Gary Clarkson, who turns at Grant, is about five minutes from your place and you actually hand-delivered that one to his place. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's right, mate. I was able to drive around the corner. He's in the same suburb. I mean, go figure. he <laughs> um, <laughs> That was a shock when I read that one. So, yes, I was able to uh, drive around, drop it in his mailbox and uh, then head round to the train station to pick up Kit on her way home from work.
0: <laughs> Never let it be said we don't have uh, first-class delivery service here at Playing Crazy Down Under, folks. Yeah, I just wish
2: we had the budget for me to personally deliver the winners in New Zealand and China, but, <laughs> yes. you know, uh, closer to home is a little easier. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sorry about that, Errol and uh, Alex, but, uh, you know, we, we can only do so much. But uh, congratulations to the three winners there. And uh, as I said, thanks again to uh, Flight Path TV for donating those three DVD sets.
2: That's right. Yeah, big thanks to Mel and Fletch for doing that. And uh, we're looking forward to keeping up with them. And uh, they're busy traveling around the world, recording more content for season two. Last I saw, they were over in Kathmandu.
0: Gee are doing great stuff. You know, we should apply for a job with those guys, Grant. I know, I'm starting to think about it. <laughs> Anyway. Okay, now we've got another giveaway to announce uh, in just a few minutes, but first Grant, uh, as we talk about uh, things we uh, discussed in the last episode, uh, we also announced a bit of a support drive for Ryan Campbell for Teen World Flight. And uh, we asked if uh, members of the audience could uh, dig in their pockets and uh, you know put a bit of money towards a uh, the 500 club, which uh, means that we can you know, basically get our names on Ryan's aircraft, just to show that we support him and get him around there. And uh, we're uh, in the process of organising that. And uh, we wanted to raise $500, uh, with 250 coming in from Grant and myself and the team here at PCDU, with the balance coming from our audience. We wanted 250 from the audience, and uh, we actually did better. We actually raised 300 from the audience. So uh, outstanding, guys. Of course, don't
2: forget, folks. Even though we have met our goal if you still want to chip in and give some more money to uh, Ryan and the Teen World Flight Program feel free to use the donate button on our site and just put in the comments that it's for Ryan and we'll pass that money on to him so he he can get as much as possible to help him take that beautiful Cirrus around the world
0: Yes and uh, you mentioned there it's a Cirrus grant and uh, you may remember that when we spoke to Ryan back at uh, Avalon he was actually uh, at that time going to take a Cessna 182 Uh, I was talking to Ryan recently and he's had a couple of hiccups uh, over the last few weeks weeks uh, as the planning goes on and unfortunately uh, he's no longer had the use of the uh, Cessna 182. Then uh, there was another Cirrus that was offered that didn't work out due to some engine issues apparently but uh, now he's uh, landed himself a lovely uh, near new Cirrus so uh, he'll be doing it in style now so that's fantastic.
2: Yeah that's pretty fantastic mate and uh, also big thanks to the folks who helped out by uh, donating to us to pass on to Ryan and uh, bought us well over the $500 level that we were looking for and they were as listed on our uh, webpage Peter Gossner, Doug and Kerry Worrell, Brian Grinter, Chris Fenelon, Peter Baxter, Gary Clarkson Ben Jones Andrew Vandersag, Nick Christensen Gareth Little-Hales and Evan Shue.
0: Absolutely So thanks very much and uh, that's a really big help and uh, it's just great to see that our audience we know times are tight uh, money wise for most people around the place so it's it's really appreciated that uh, our audience could dig in there We've uh, taken the money from the PayPal account and we've uh, transferred it uh, to our Swiss bank account No, that's not true We've uh, <laughs> we've we've uh, transferred it to our own bank and once that clears uh, we'll be sending that across Of course with our $250 contribution to make up the, uh, the balance and uh, we've already told uh, Ryan about that. He's uh, very happy and passes on his, his thanks and his gratitude and uh, we'll hope to catch up with him uh, before he heads off on the flight, Grant, which is uh, only a few weeks away as we record this. That's the one. I
2: believe he's going to be in Melbourne before then so we can do the uh, the classic shake and take photo opportunity. We're uh, shaking hands and he takes the check and, uh,
0: yeah, all good. Okay, moving on to our next giveaway that we want to announce this week, and uh, this one is thanks to our good friend Owen's Up. Of course, uh, Owen is a regular on this show, a uh, great uh, writer, and of course the technical editor for Australian Aviation Magazine. I think he does a bit of flying occasionally too for a major Australian airline. Very talented guy and a very generous guy, Grant. He's offered our audience uh, 10 copies of the e-book, 50 Tales of Flight. So we're going to split that into two over two episodes, and we're going to give away five complimentary copies of uh, Owen's e But you must answer the following question. I've got Owen queued up here. Let's hear the question. Which?
2: Which Australian solo pioneer aviator hails from the same town as Jabiru Aircraft?
0: Okay, so uh, this is a very cryptic one. You might have to, uh, you know, might have to dig to Oh, uh, Mate, a, a it's a little... easy as. You know that because you know the answer. I've got it written down here in front of you. No, no, I
2: wasn't looking. Honest, I wasn't peeking. But, hey, easy, easy. They should be flooding in.
0: Okay, so for those of you who are a little challenged by that question, let's just hear it one more time from Owen.
2: Which Australian solo pioneer aviator hails from the same town as Jabiru Aircraft?
0: Okay, now uh, if you're not sure who that is, just go back through some of Owen's various writings on his website, owensup.com and uh, there's, there's various uh, references around that Owen makes to uh, you know various characters that will give you a pretty good clue as to uh, the answer for this one and we'll announce the answer in the next show and of course the winners now uh, as, as with the last contest uh, we're not going to draw any names out of the hat It's uh, as soon as the episode's released it's the first five people to send the correct answer to contact at plaincrazydownunder.com and perhaps just make the subject lines something along the lines of Owen's Up competition.
2: That'll work or even 50 Tales that'll work even better.
0: No problem and Uh, we'll have the answers in episode 110 along with uh, another question from Owen that's uh, equally as cryptic to give away another five copies. I tell you what, mate, somebody who might just be interested in entering that competition after all, he's done so much work for us over the years. Hmm, sounds like the postman.
2: There you go.
0: That was rather abrupt,
2: actually. He just appeared out of nowhere. But he's not the midnight postman. That's probably why. (laughs)
0: That's exactly right. Well, I tell you what, Grant, list the mail. It just keeps flooding in. Oh, we've got a big stack,
2: so we'll run pretty quick and just give summaries. But uh, first one, here, hand me that piece of paper there. Thank you.
0: Oh, Grant, you've got your own sound effects over there.
2: Oh, mate, you're not the only one with a rig.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jeez, I'll be out of a job soon.
2: And the first letter is in from the dreaded Air Stig. Ah, Yes, our own Air Stig. The, the man behind the mask and uh, he's laid down the challenge for the Leo game that Doug Worrell has created we mentioned it on the last show we also had an interview with Doug about it on one of our recent Australia Desk segments and uh, the air stick has gone out completed all the missions and logged a score of 5,641 and he sent us a screen to prove it so I may just have to add that into the show notes but uh, mate all I can say is I wish I had the time to be able to do the same as him and actually play the game a whole lot
0: yeah you. Well done there, Estig. And in fact, that's 5,640 more than I can score on it, I can tell you.
2: Yeah, well, I've seen how you fly the spaceship
0: and it's not really good. No, no, I'm not not particularly. Unless it's on rails, I can't fly it, Grant. Oh,
2: okay. Well, what's that going to do for your Cessna?
0: When I get a Cessna, I'll worry about these things. Yeah, so uh, well done there, Stig. And actually, Doug wrote into us after my last comment where I said it hurts my brain. Well, it does hurt my brain. I'm just rather sensitive to these things when I have no skills. I get rather frustrated. But uh, he said he's making some changes to it. Maybe he'll put it in. Maybe he'll make one for Steve mode where I can just press the button and it will launch, go on autopilot and do whatever it needs to do without me having to move the iPad. Do the whole mission. I like it. And then I could put my feet up on the dash somewhere and take a photo and send it to you, mate. Yeah,
2: yeah. Here's Steve hard at work in the train while also flying the spaceship. Hey,
0: wait a minute. <laughs> (laughs) Works for me, works for me. Anyway, keep up the good work, Airstig, and uh, thanks for writing into us. I really appreciate it, mate. Of course, uh, people wonder why we call him the Airstig. We used to call him our anonymous donor from Canberra, but uh, I don't think he's in that locale anymore, so we've come up with a far more appropriate name for him. Actually, I think he came up with it.
2: Uh, He did. He sent us the photo of himself in the helmet. (laughs) But, uh, mate, moving right along, our next letter is from Roger Preston over in Europe, and uh, he's a little behind. He's uh, slowly working his way through the episodes, and uh, he's saying he's really enjoying it. And despite being from Europe, He's even been down here in Australia and uh, flew a Cetabria uh, in Townsville back in the eighties. and
0: yeah, not only that, Grant. Uh, he said while I might, whilst I might have enjoyed my ride in a C130 recently, he says my skydiving logbook shows me jumping from a Belgian Herc at Morcel in uh, July 1988. Uh, he says uh, he goes on to say he I reckon I saw 17,500 feet on my altimeter uh, while I stood on the ramp watching the countryside go by and then uh, uh, make some uh, interesting comments about the accuracy of the pilots. <laughs> so glad he took. He said he's glad he took passports with him because uh, a lot of them ended up uh, landing in uh, other countries. Well, some of those European countries, Grant, are quite small.
2: Yeah, well, you know, some of them about the size of, what, Victoria, the state?
0: Can't (laughs) can't expect pilots to do everything there, Roger.
2: So yeah, thanks Roger Really appreciate hearing from you mate uh, Always great uh, hearing from our listeners Especially when they're so far away Absolutely Now
0: we've got another quick one here Just from uh, Michael Power uh, Michael Power's up north uh, Up in Queensland where He says just enjoying your podcast Up in Townsville He said great work at Avalon 2013 He says but episode 51 Is still the best one In his eyes That of course was the uh, one Where we covered the F111 retirement And uh, he says keep up the great work Thanks for writing in Michael And uh, thanks for participating I know you've uh, followed us on Facebook And uh, have made made some uh, contributions to that page here and there over the time, so I really appreciate you writing in, and I'm glad you're enjoying the show all the way up there in Queensland, no doubt enjoying much warmer weather than we're we're, uh, putting up with down here in Melbourne at the moment.
2: Yeah, but it still can get cold. I mean, Brisbane, you know, it'd get cold enough to have some light ice on the top of a puddle of water, but that was about two nights every year. Um, So, uh, yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, Mike. And uh, speaking of uh, the M names, we've got Mick, our mate,
0: Bomb1. Yes, Mick Uh, Mick from the Frankston line, Grant. Mick from the Frankston line.
2: Oh, okay, Mick from the Frankston line. Go, Franger. (laughs) Uh, He's uh, sent through a great email which uh, included an excerpt from a a record he's managed to dig up. Uh, Yes, an LP, one of those black vinyl things that goes round and round. That's true. And uh, it's an old British production, and it includes a series of cockpit. Checks from the comet, the Havilland Comet. It was fascinating, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, really interesting stuff. And I always like to, to, you know, here's a tragic thing about me, folks. I love watching YouTube videos that show airliner cockpit video, and I love them going through all those uh, checklists and everything. So, but it's interesting to hear the there are the clipped and proper British accents doing it from the 40s or the 50s or whenever it was. So yeah, (laughs) it was very interesting. We might even uh, might even attach that MP3 to the blooper reel this week. I think.
2: Yeah, I think some excerpts from that would be pretty good. And uh, I think the uh, fire warning bell would make a great. Bleeper Bell.
0: Yeah, I'll have to clip that one out, mate. There you go. All yeah, right. That'd... So, uh, and, and I'll tell you what, Grant, yet another very entertaining email from Mick. I'll tell you what, uh, he's even writing into the Airplane Geeks these days, so... Uh... Good on you, mate.
2: Yeah, great to hear that he's listening to everyone. He can get his hands on. That's wonderful.
0: Now, he's now he's still offered to buy us lunch, granted. We didn't catch up with him back in April. So, uh, Mick, Dang. I'm getting hungry, mate.
2: Maybe, uh, maybe he's talking about an event coming up in October that we might all have to catch up for, but uh, I'm sure we can figure that out as we get closer.
0: Yeah, yeah, October. That's months away. We'll organise that, you know, the week before like we do with everything else. <laughs> yeah, probably.
2: <clears throat> so, uh, moving along through the list before I get myself into more trouble here, we had Cade Jones who uh, wrote in to say that he's enjoying the show and he said... He, he wants to get into radio and media. Oh, the guy must be mad. Quick, stop
0: now. Run, run before it's too late. Oh, good on you, Cade. And I've written back to Cade a few times and uh, he's very enthusiastic to learn how we work the magic here, as he says. So, I <laughs> uh, <so, laughs> got him fooled. And uh, as you say, Grant, uh, he's looking to sign up for some uh, radio schools and whatever, and I've passed on some, some of my thoughts on that and who are some of the better schools to go to and uh, some of the people he might like to contact. And uh, Cade is actually so keen he wants to come in and sit on one of our recording sessions one of these days, Grant. So, boy.
2: Jeez, oh, that's pretty Scary. Talk I mean, just magic. ask Micah what it was like. <laughs>
0: yeah. Disorganized chaos. I think, Cade, uh, a bit more than ma- magic. But yeah, you're welcome to come, and uh, you know, I'll teach you how to edit. You know, no, no ulterior ah. motive in that.
2: Ah, I see where this is going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, good luck, Cade, and uh, yeah, you can uh, you can come down here and watch the magic happen if you like here in the studio. I hope you know how to make coffee, mate, because you know I do consume a fair bit of it. Oh,
2: this is getting worse by the minute. Man, you're totally lining people up to take over, aren't you?
0: Absolutely. Why not? Why not? One of these days, I'll be like Leo Laporte. I can just kick back and let other people do my shows.
2: Legendary in his own status.
0: Actually, if Leo wanted to employ me, I'd, I'd run one of his shows for him. Oh, well, there you go. It's always a thought.
2: Leo, if you're listening, yeah, this, drop us a line. This, Contact at playingcrazydownunder.com.
0: That's right. This week in aviation tech. I could see it now. Oh, actually, that'd be pretty cool.
2: Anyhow, <laughs> one last letter. Quick, quick, sidetrack. Come on, pick uh, it
0: up. One more letter. This one, Grant, comes in from Mike Butorak. And uh, my apologies if I uh, if I didn't uh, quite get your name right, Mike. I'm really sorry about that. But uh, Mike wrote into us from uh, Canada and uh, Grant, and he was looking for some interesting uh, music uh, ideas to put towards a video that he took on a recent trip here in the land down under.
2: Yeah, he flew from coast to coast and had a camera out the window most of the way. And fortunately, the uh, staff on board the aircraft didn't give him any hassle, as we've seen recently in some American flights. So, uh, yeah, he's he was wondering what kind of uh, music to put to it for his own enjoyment. And uh, you gave him a couple of suggestions. And then I don't think he realized what he was going to unleash because I gave him videos, lists, more lists, more lists. More references, more obscure groups, and all sorts of stuff, and then wound up at the very end pretty much agreeing with what you'd suggested.
0: Yeah, there you go. I did point out to uh, Mike, of course, that uh, Grant does usually have uh, quite different musical taste to me, but I got to say, in this case, mate, uh, he was looking for some 80s style music uh, to go with that. And of course, you know, I was thinking of things like Ice House's Great Southern Land. That's just a must. But uh, Grant, you came up with some stuff uh, Ganga Jang's Sounds of Then.
2: That's right, mate. Ganga Jang's The Sounds of Then is a classic track, and at least it says, This is Australia. But yeah, either, either of them are good. Ganga Jang one was a little bit more upbeat, whereas the Ice House one, I think, um, yeah, he's gone actually, mate, with that. I think it's definitely going to uh, fit the mood of what he was filming.
0: Actually, mate, you know, I forgot one very important track. Which one? Well, you know, something that's synonymous with Australia and actually, ironically, was actually uh, produced by a Canadian, the PCDU theme music. You name it, five. Well, I was wondering if that was where you were leading. (laughs) Yes. Yes. With or without didgeridoo? Yes. Well, no, the didgeridoo is, is is my doing, but actually we don't play the didgeridoo version of it these days. Uh, actually, it's only in the videos now I think about it, but uh, yeah, You Name It Five, that track by Brian Simpson. Uh, as far as I know, Brian is Canadian, so there you go. In fact, I tried to contact Brian recently, but uh, the, the uh, website where we source that music, uh, he's no longer active on, so. Oh, no. Yeah, so well, well, we'll just keep using his music until he tells us not to, but you know, it's been five years now. I call that fair use. <laughs> There's something
2: wrong here. Yeah. Now,
0: actually, Brian Simpson does know that we use this music because uh, the very first uh, episode we put out, I got an email from him thanking him for uh, using his music and crediting uh, him with the work. So there you go.
2: Well, that's great. Help spread the word. So hopefully, he's still producing lots of great music. But moving on, we've left the listener mail, and it's time to go. Woo-hoo! and do a
0: shout-out. Okay. First shout-out, Grant, uh, you've put in the list here, goes to Peter Merwood in New Zealand who flies Thunderbird 6. Thunderbird 6? Thunderbird's a go?
2: Yeah, it's a beautifully restored RV6. He sent me through a photo of it, and, mate, it is gorgeous. A uh, wonderful-looking aircraft, and, yeah, thanks, Peter. We had a couple of emails back and forth, and it uh, looks like a lot of fun. Definitely would like to catch up with him if we can ever get off our butts and get to New Zealand.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Well, you know, of course, uh, we've had Dave Homewood on the show this week. Maybe uh, we should get Dave to go over and visit Peter Mer- would, if he hasn't already. Yeah, well, there is always that. Okay, Grant, uh, let's move on to our next shout-out here, and this is to our great friends at the Airplane Geeks podcast, Grant. the uh, As we uh, put this one to air, they'll be putting out episode number 250. Holy crap, 250 episodes? Yes. And they're still going strong? They're still going strong, and in fact, Grant, uh, episode 250 actually marks the 200th episode since you and I started recording uh, anything of any kind together. Pretty sure it went wow. to air in episode 50 of the Airplane Geeks, so uh, we're actually not up to Australia yet number 200 quite yet. We've got uh, six or seven more to go, I think, because we've missed a few along the way. But, uh, yeah, well done to the guys there, 250 episodes. And, of course, uh, Courtney Miller was with them up until, I think, episode 51, and uh, Max took over with uh, Rob Mark and uh, that kid. What was that kid's name or whoever his name oh, was? Dan Webb, that, I think. That cocky young guy. Yeah, and, of course, uh, our great friend David Vanderhoof. And, uh, they, they, you know, they just keep pumping those episodes out. I really wish we could get ourselves organised to put out a show uh, every week like those guys do, but uh, we're too busy providing material for their show so that they can put out a show every <laughs> week which you know something like that anyway but well done guys on 250 episodes awesome work.
2: Yeah that's fantastic guys very well done and very impressed that you uh, still tuning them out every week and they're still great to listen to. Yeah
0: particularly the Australia Disc segment.
2: Yeah uh, it's the best segment of the show man.
0: I like Across the Pond too
2: Yeah oh yeah Peter hi hey good <laughs> stuff man.
0: Actually we should mention that uh, the latest episode uh, speaking of Peter Johnson we should mention that the, the latest episode of Extended has just come out so uh, some more fantastic. Fantastic uh, content there. If you haven't uh, checked that one out yet, Grant, I think it's high time we put a link in the show notes to uh, Aviation Extended.
2: I think you're right, mate. And you know what? I think we have something else we have to give credit to the Airplane Geeks. Not only 250 episodes, but also, mate, they've the only aviation show I know of that spun off two kids yes. ourselves. And Extended. That's right. Two other podcasts. Exactly right. Yeah. Now all we need
0: is one of these two podcasts
2: to spin off another one,
0: and they could be grandparents. Yeah, well, don't tell Rob Mark that. He'll be asking for a commission or something, you know.
2: Oh, uh, you know, he's already pretty much right in past the grandparents. Isn't he a great-grandparent by now? No, no, he
0: seems old enough for it. He but... could be, he could be, he could be. Okay. Lucky he never listens to this show. We'd be in all sorts of trouble, mate.
2: I know, I know. I'd have to send yet another
0: kidney. <laughs> that's right. That's... Anyway, our last shout-out for this episode, mate, goes to our good friend up north, uh, is David Optimal. Boy, uh, tell you what, mate, he's powering on since we, remember we interviewed David Optimal way, way back, actually sitting in my car in the main street of Cranbourne. And, uh, After was, lunch, that's, that's right. That's right, and uh, he was talking about uh, his plans to uh, further his career in aviation and uh, he's from Switzerland I think isn't he or somewhere like that. Where is he from originally?
2: Yeah I, I'm not exactly sure man I think there's definitely some Spanish in there as well. Uh, it was a lot of fun when he came down. He'd just got his newly minted instructor rating and uh, the two of us spent a couple of days driving around Melbourne and uh, surrounds as he, uh, he he went around saying hey I'm a new instructor who wants to employ me and I went around going hey we've got this podcast who wants to listen. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it was true. a lot
0: of fun. Absolutely. Well speaking of uh, ratings that are newly minted for David and the reason for this shout out is that he's now achieved his Class 1 instructor rating... Outstanding work, David. Of course, David Roses is his actual name, but he goes by David Optimal in uh, some forums. So well done, David. And uh, well, he's up at Innisfail, I think now, up in Queensland. So uh, uh, And really enjoying the lifestyle. He puts a lot of great photos up on his Flickr stream and up on uh, Instagram and places like that, and uh, really enjoys uh, not only his aviation, but uh, the lifestyle up there, up north. So uh, uh, certainly a far cry from Sydney. I think he learned to fly initially uh, at Bankstown. Might have been a Bass Air, I think, if memory serves. Mm, so, definitely uh, at Bankstown. Yeah, getting up there into far north Queensland obviously a uh, quite a different lifestyle so uh, obviously he's enjoying that so good on you David and uh, more power to you mate and keep up the fantastic work yeah
2: we're gonna have to get him back on the show you know and compare where he was two years ago with where he is now and what's coming up
0: yeah if nothing else he can tell us exactly which country he actually came from originally oh yeah there is always
2: that actually we could probably find out by just listening to the archive
0: but anyhow <laughs> we could do I don't I, I never like to listen to any of those older shows Granted, rather cringe worthy.
2: <laughs> yeah well you know it's always good to listen to them and then they inspire you on to upward and better
0: well I'll you know what, mate, I think that just about wraps up this episode another packed one and I want to apologise to our listeners for the uh, the slowness of getting these episodes out lately, Grant and I have just been really hammered with other things going on outside of the podcast world and uh, particularly Grant because uh, Grant works a lot harder than I do <laughs> outside <laughs> of my day job but uh, no, it's just been a bit of a struggle lately but uh, we are uh, managing to get these shows out as quick as we can, It's uh, it's been about a month between releases lately and uh, we're hoping to rectify that, in fact Grant uh, we've actually recorded uh, some material for the next show already so it's, uh, it's a matter of me just uh, getting this one out so I can start working on that one and stitching it all together. No rest for the wicked. Yes, in fact, in the next episode we'll have a, a, a rather fun interview with uh, Kreisha Ballantyne and of course she is the publications manager for AOPA Australia so the, that'll be a fun interview coming up in the next episode along with uh, plenty of other really cool aviation stuff.
2: Yeah, it's it's going to be a good one, mate. I'm looking forward to uh, how we wind up putting that one together.
0: So thanks very much for listening, folks. As always, we hope you enjoyed it. Grant, uh, happy ballooning until the next time I talk to you.
2: Yeah. well it's not my weight that's ballooning but hopefully I do get a chance to get up in the air uh, in the near future
0: i'm heading back to ground school to uh, see if i can uh, continue this study and finally get myself current so uh, i'll be looking forward to doing that so uh, wish me luck with that folks and i tell you what if i do manage to get myself up in the air between this episode and the next i reckon i'll have just one thing in mind when i'm up there grant it's what's down under that counts folks
10: You've been listening to Plain Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. You can find us on Twitter as PCDU, and for more information about the team, feedback, storylines you'd like us to follow, or any advertising inquiries, go to our website, plaincrazydownunder.com. Plain Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies online media production.
4: passengers come aboard, the crew start a comprehensive series of checks to ensure that everything in the plane is in first-class working order. The first is called the before-starting check.
9: Autopilot, master and power switches on, cabin signs on, emergency roof light is on, navigation lights, steady beacon light on. low pressure horn.
4: That's the horn that blows automatically if the hydraulic pressure to the controls fails.
9: Foot warmer off. Warning lights landing gear. Three green lights. Checking change over day night. One amber. Three mechanical indicators down. Gold film overheat lights. On. Press to test. Hydraulic pressure failure, two blues, two greens, we have
4: dinghy bay doors are out.
9: Reverse thrust, pressing to test, two amber, two green.
4: You heard the pilot checking the system of lights that indicate when the wheels are down, when the landing gear doors are opening, when the windscreen heating's in operation, when the hydraulic pressure fails, and when the reverse thrust is in use. Back horn,
9: checking one. Two.
4: The Mach horn blows automatically at a speed of 0.77 Mach, to indicate that the aircraft is nearing its limit of 0.78 Mach, which is about 500 miles per hour true air speed at 35,000 feet. The check continues until all is ready for the pilot to get starting clearance from ground control.
9: Uh, London ground, London ground, this is uh, jet speedbird uh, 704. Are we clear to start in two minutes over? Uh, jet speedbird uh, 704, are you clear to start in five minutes. Time check is five zero over. Uh, jet speedbird seven oh four checks five zero. Captain's last check and started. Fire warning, fire wire numbers one, two, 3 and four engines. Fire wire, fire wire number one. Two. Three. Four. Check, reset.
4: Those bells ring in the event of a fire in any of the four engines.
9: Pedestal lights, leading edge bays and center section. Three lights checked. Smoke detectors on, bell isolation switches on. Testing, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Those seven
4: bells are connected to detectors sighted in various parts of the aircraft and ring to indicate the presence of smoke. And so on uh, to the end of the check. Then follows the starting engines check until...
9: Ready to start, sir. Right up. Uh, you ready to start? One? Okay, so ready by one.
4: One by one, each of the Comet's four Rolls-Royce Avon engines are started.
9: Right, engineer, going one. Starting by one.
0: We're also going to be bringing an update on the, uh, the, the initiative we announced, we announced in the... I'll just start that again, shall I? <laughs>
2: out, I'm, I'm trying to hover over the mute because, you know,
0: five o'clock in the afternoon, there's a lot of traffic out my house. There oh, oh, yeah. So, let's see how we go. Yeah, well, down here in Cranbourne, you know, there's not, won't hear much traffic, maybe the odd shotgun or yeah,
3: you know, yeah, police salon right. or you know,
0: something like that.
3: <laughs> Probably oh, the but- only thing you hear. The only thing you'll hear in the background here will probably be the cat.
0: <laughs> well, you may hear what? my dogs. they like to. They had, my 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 two dogs have interrupted many a podcast recording session. Correct. <laughs> Correct.
2: <laughs> he gets dogs and the occasional shotgun. I get buses, trucks, and hoons. Yeah. And um, yeah, you got the cat. I think you win, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Queen's birthday weekend, which is the 8th, 9th, and 10th of June, a long weekend. And a few of us are looking to take a bunch of balloons and head up uh, north just to near the uh, New South Wales border to Mansfield and do some flying there.
0: Mansfield, that's nowhere near the New South Wales border. Really? <laughs> it's about halfway. Oh, is it? I thought
2: it was a bit closer than that. <laughs> Hang on. Excuse me while I. <laughs>
0: Nowhere near, he says, dude, it's bloody miles away. That's what happens when you think going to Chadston requires a passport.
2: (laughs) Yeah, okay, I'll cut you some slack on that. (laughs) You bastard.
0: Heading up towards Albury, you might say. Now, so it's it's more than high time we had you on.
3: Well, thank you very much. It's a great privilege to be on the show.
0: Oh, shucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't go telling Grant that. It'll go to his head. (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh, too late,
2: too late. I've got to widen the doors now to get out of the studio. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, it really is. I mean, you guys are uh, world famous and, and, you know, you do a great show, so I really appreciate it. Uh,
2: some of the – they seem to be some of the more common forms of Warbird here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll probably get hate mail from um, some of the Warbird fans in the audience <laughs> who will be like, no, Grant, you don't know Jack, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, people say well, that but, to um, us all the time.
2: Yeah, I know, add it to another topic that I don't know Jack about, which is quite a few, but, <laughs> but you know. Sounds, uh, sounds good, and hopefully I don't say ums too much.
0: No, don't worry. If you do, I'll edit them out. Yeah. <laughs> and may yeah. have a
2: few things to say under his breath by the end of the 28th, but, you know, he'll edit them out.
0: <laughs> it's I'm, got I'm,
8: it's I'm got still got- chipping through airplane geeks, and um, I think I'm going to take on bloody Dan Webb's persona here. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Dan Webb, well, uh, you can do that.
8: <laughs> you, you're going to open his can of ums. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just not going to be so desperate looking for women, that's all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there we go, Grant. That's uh, one for the more tech. <laughs> oh, we've got a big stack, so we'll run pretty quick and just give
2: summaries. But uh, first one, here, hand me that piece of paper there. Thank you.
0: Oh, Grant, first... you've got your own sound effects over there.
2: Oh, mate, you're not the only one with a rig. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Jeez, I'll be out of a job soon. <laughs>
2: no chance of that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> 'Cause then I'd have to do the editing too, and we know that'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> Dear. Okay. We'll take that one from the stop the top.